Hey Insiders, it's Michael. Before we begin, want to let you know that registration for the 2021 United Soccer Coaches Digital Convention is now open. Even though we won't be together in person, this interactive digital event will be taking place in January and will still bring the soccer coaching community together for a week of fantastic presenters, networking opportunities, socials, and more. To register, visit unitedsoccercoachesconvention.org. Thanks a lot for United Soccer Coaches sponsoring us, and on with the show. Welcome to Inside the 18. I'm Michael Majid, live from Palm Desert, California. Okay. (laughs) That's right. I was saving that for everybody. I took a little journey out to the desert for the weekend. It's good. It's a good little mental health thing to do every once in a while. I'll, I'll be honest with you. Uh, now I understand why both you guys make these, this little oasis to the desert uh, often as well too, because uh, this is, <laughs> this is really nice and comfortable out here. I like all the it's space. It's not the weekend anymore, Mike. Well, well Monday, Monday, okay, Monday is like ahead. a long, long weekend. <laughs> that voice right there, you know her as 99 <laughs> world cup winner, Suskia Weber. We've got the czar of the virtual background with a really solid virtual background today. You know him as Pro GK Academy, Omar Zini. And the reason we have that background right there is because joining us is Reading Football Club women's goalkeeper coach, Craig McCreeth. Craig, what is up, man? Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having us on. I, this, is, uh, this, is, this is what you signed up for, man. It's going to be, it's gonna yeah. be like Sorry. this for the next, uh, next hour. Um, it's, a, it's really a Can't fascinating wait. thing, though. Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, the thing is, is that like, we always, we always kind of joke about the fact that, you know, that Omar puts out these backgrounds and everything. And uh, the the background, honestly, is overpowering you right now, Omar. I'm not going to lie. Like, I'm, I feel like the, the rays are emanating from you, uh, from, uh, from the badge right there. It, it, yeah. it's, it's okay, it'll, it'll be used as an audio. It looks like the sun's behind you, like, you know, <laughs> glaring out. <laughs> it's impressive. Well, well, the only reason I don't have backgrounds is I can't figure out how to do it. So, can you figure out how to do the backgrounds? No, um, do you know what? Technology passes me Thank by you. at times. <laughs> I did try once, and it wasn't it wasn't loading. So I was like, whatever. Oh my gosh! Well, I'll let's. Well, first off, guys, well, before we get to today's topic, which is going to be, you know, dealing with external factors and uh, and Craig, you actually brought this up because you showed some really cool you know, clips to me. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I'd never even thought about incorporating these into my training sessions. But um, for those people out there who might not be familiar, you know, um, with you and, the, you know, what you do with Reading FC Women and, you know, how you ended up over there, why don't you give us a little synopsis? Yeah, so I'm currently head of well, first team goalkeeping coach for Reading Women. Um, I coach the... RRTC Regional Talent Centre. Um, so that's goalkeepers from female goalkeepers from under nine through to under ten, sorry, through to under sixteens, and then obviously just managing that transition from from under sixteens into our under twenty one program, and into uh, ultimately into the first team. Um, working towards my A license at the minute, goalkeeping A, um, and yeah, I've been at a couple of boys academies and. Um, London Bees was my first women's club that I worked at um, and worked at Barnet, which is their equivalent men's team um, when they were in League Two as well. You know, th- it's funny because when I saw the when I saw London Bees in, uh, in you know in the, in the women's leagues out there, I was I was a little confused because it sounded like that's like the name of like an AYSO here in the United States, like little little kids team or whatever. Uh, and so I was like, did they let the, the fans honeybee. vote for the team or something? Like that? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, that's pretty awesome. So Craig, do you know do you know Matt Doyle too? 
Um, I've I've had some some interactions with Doyley. Yeah, we've we've sort of had some very brief overlaps. Um, Barnet, yeah, across our times at Barnet, yeah. Okay, that, sorry that, for didn't reject us. No, <laughs> no, 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 the, no. That's Stay that's, on topic. that's that's good, dude. <laughs> I um, remember, no, I remember, I remember because yeah, I had uh, I had Matt Doyle on as well, and I remember he said he was at Barnet for a little bit, and he was going back and forth, so. You know, kind of before we go into the topic, though, uh, you know, uh, Craig, I do want to kind of ask you in regards to working with that youth development side of then going into into the first team. What is kind of because I'm not as familiar with the the kind of the pyramid in regards to youth development uh, in the UK on the women's side. Is that is, is that pretty much a, you know, um, kind of a, a, a parallel thing where it's the same pyramid with the same club or is it more like regional centers? How does that work? So with with the program over in the UK, we've got the R under 10s, 11s and 12s play in boys grassroots leagues. Um, and then when they get to under 14s and under 16s, they play against other regional talent centres. Um, so your Arsenal's, your Chelsea's, Southampton's. Um, and then they also have an FA Youth Cup as well. Um, and what for the under 16s and what they do is mirror that fixture then with the under 14s as well. So if our under 16s um, were playing Man United, say, our under 14s would then also play um, Man United at the same time. Nice. I um I I I always like you know kind of always are fascinated when I find out about the different ways that pe- different countries do it because you know a lot of times people look and they say you know this is the way it should be done or like well this is the way it should be done and it, I think one of the great things about in the United States is we're exposed to a lot of different uh, for lack of a better term goalkeeping cultures you know and and kind of get to recognize you know what kind of works and and what doesn't work so talking about the topic right now in regards to what doesn't work is uh playing in in the sun uh does not work for me uh i'm terrible when it comes to to that um uh and that is an external factor yeah i'm really bad at that and that's what that's what brought me up the big black dot well that's the thing right now craig's come up with a really great (laughs) great training session with that which is what made made me think of this topic here so craig maybe um you know, for maybe some of the parents out there that don't know what we're talking about when we're talking about external factors, you know, why don't you kind of break down what we mean by that? So an external factor is really anything that, for me, is anything that's outside of the control of the goalkeeper. So that can be fans, that can be uh, social media now in these days poses its own challenges, TV, the weather, sun, wind, rain, um, Pitch conditions, bobbly pitches, yeah. really smooth, crisp pitches, hard pitches, soft pitches, where bounces tend to bounce higher, bounce lower. Yeah. Um, floodlights are a problem as well. Um, I mean, the, the, yeah, the list, the list really can go on. You've you've also got sort of promotions, relegations, cup competitions, uh, fixture congestion. You know that yeah, there's endless possibilities of, of factors that can affect not just your decision-making in specific moments, but pressures and, and psychological challenges moving into a game. I'm really glad that you brought up, you know, some of the things that had nothing to do with, with the actual field or the pitch or, or conditions, because I think that's kind of one of the focuses a lot of people come on to. And I know Saskia and Omar have been very big about this, is that like, it's not always about like what's going on in front of you. It's like sometimes what's go- coming on, like if it's a bumpy pitch, well, then that gets in your head as opposed to it's really the bumpy pitch, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And you've also you, you you'll second guess yourself as the goalkeeper if if the pitch is is bobbly. You'll think, oh, can we play out? 
I mean, I, I was playing up until very recently and, and I felt it myself, the pitch would be bobbly or heavy and I'd be like, don't really fancy playing out today. I'm just going to yeah. shell it long and get it as far away from my goal as possible. So it's how as the coach can, can we instill confidence in the goalkeeper and the back four and, and you know, your defensive units to be comfortable to play out, you know, as the goalkeeper, to be confident to go, right, I'm going and my early decision is I'm going to hold this and things are going to stick doesn't matter if it's bobbly slippy whatever I'm good enough and I deserve to be on the pitch I deserve to have that number one on my back and I'm going to make correct decisions at the correct moments and execute my decisions effectively yeah now I think think a good thing I think a good thing in training wise is to highlight those those situations like like it was really really wet out the other day so I made sure that the training, like I kind of tweaked my training. So I, I kind of used it, the situation to my advantage. I'm like, all right, we're going to, we're going to play certain types of balls today. So you, you can deal with this situation in case you come up against it. The same as if it's windy, it, you don't shy away from like doing, doing crosses, do them on that day, do them on the day that now these factors that you don't see all the time, you can use it as a training tool. I think a lot of people tend to be like, well, it's really windy today or it's raining or something like that. So let's not do this or let's do that. I think it's the total opposite. Use it to your advantage. I mean, I think, I think that's a great point. And like Omar, you know, one thing, one thing I wanted to bring up with you is because your LA galaxy have just recently made a managerial change. Um, and uh, Omar, you with LA galaxy? <laughs> no, no, man. My, I support the team. Yeah, I support the team. I wish I was there, but but I'm happy. <laughs> we have a whole podcast on that. How happy I am. But anyways, continue. continue. Uh, we can see it in your smile. <laughs> I was gonna, I was gonna say, wouldn't you consider that also more like kind of an external factor? Is the fact is like there's a managerial change. So Craig, I don't know if you know, they 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 got rid of the entire staff, including the goalkeeper coach. So this weekend. I don't know. I, th- I, th- I literally texted you, Omar. I was like, I was like, I think you should be the goalkeeper coach for the Galaxy. This <laughs> Usually, that's a little, the it works a lot of the times. You get you cut the top. You're gonna you're gonna cut every belt. So then let the new let the new manager bring in who the, he wants. Yeah. yeah, I mean, even even if you thought, think about this weekend, right? I'm sure Craig, you're up to date on this as well as with the whole Jordan Pickford thing. You know, Jordan Pickford, obviously, after he hurt Van Dyke, people have been threatening him, sending him messages, and saying, you know, that he had to hire his own. Uh, security team to, to make sure that he could walk around the, the city of uh, in Liverpool, you know? So little things like that, external factors. And then now, you know, Ancelotti benched him this weekend. It could have been because maybe he had a lot on his plate and a lot on his mind, but now he gets benched. Olsen comes in, plays well, mm-hmm. and Everton still lose, but right. So he plays well. And now Ancelotti is like saying, okay, you know what? Okay. We gave Jordan the break. I wanted to give Olsen a chance to see what he had. And next week, Jordan's my guy again. So now it's again, it's, it's so many external factors. It doesn't have to be just weather, but now you talk about managerial stuff. Now you talk about backroom discussions and all that stuff too. And it's just so hard for us goalkeeper coaches to, you know, without being personable and without asking those questions, I'm sure Craig can test this as well, is like really asking those lead on questions of like, hey, how are you really doing? Tell me more so that, you know, of course I can try and give you the best help that I can. So it's not just the X's and O's techniques and tactics and all that stuff. Now I can actually give you advice or find a way to you know not cradle you or shelter you but give you you know some boost of confidence to get your mind off other factors that uh, could you know, potentially be hindering you yeah, yeah definitely you've got you've, you've got to build them relationships with with your goalkeepers and with your players to to have that free-flowing conversation and you know you, you'd probably see that, that Jordan Pitford would have the ability to turn around to his goalkeeping coach and say look I've got all of this going on I probably need couple of days at home or I need a couple of days off or playing at the weekend my head's not in it and it's also as the goalkeeping coach seeing that in your goalkeeper 
having the relationship again with with the manager to turn around and go look his or her head isn't in the right place yeah at the moment we we've got to take them out of the limelight for a little bit and that could be what's happening on the pitch or off the pitch mm-hmm. um and and it's just having that that relate the relationship is so key and and for us as goalkeeping coaches it's great we've got two three maybe four um keepers that we're working closely with on a on a daily or regular basis so we're able to build those those relationships and that's not always happening on the pitch that's that's going and grabbing a coffee at times um sitting after training uh, having a a random chat or random phone call or, or conversation on text um just to break break down some barriers not all of them you've got to obviously keep your your boundaries but break some barriers down to really get to know them as people and and coach the person as well as the goalkeeper yeah i think it also like to echo that i think when you build that relationship you know you're going to notice that something's wrong because you've taken that time like like a couple weeks ago i noticed one of my keepers was really off and and i pulled her aside asked something was going on and we're in training and i just said just i want you to just keep it simple you know, let's get through this. Set. You know, we were at, moved in with the team at that point, and um, let's just get through the session. And we'll talk. You know, we'll sit and talk and stuff. But you have to notice it, and you have to like, and that having that relationship is the way because it, you can't always rely. If you don't have a tight relationship, the keeper's not going to come up to you and be, you know, and say something. They're going to try to power through it, and sometimes it's not the best thing for them. You know, one thing, Omar, is that, you know, Craig, you brought up social media, and then obviously you were talking about the Jordan Bickford situation right now in regards to, I mean, that's, it's absurd, people. It's just a game. It's just a game. Please. It's their rival. That's the only issue there was, you know, and they're in first place. It's all this. I know, I know. It's a red and blue. I know it's a red and blue thing. I know. (laughs) It's who, you know, who owns Liverpool. But, but the thing is, is that. Ooh, I'd say we're like Americans, like right now, <laughs> heckling about Liverpool fans. I mean, yeah, yeah, we're on our highways right now. Okay, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah we yeah, got we nothing. Have, <laughs> we have our own. We have our own derby tomorrow. Let's be honest, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> going on right there. But but I would say, you know, Omar, is that social media right now is probably the biggest external factor in regards to it, at least at the professional level, and possibly even at the collegiate level in regards to just how connected those kids are. Yeah, I mean, you know, what's crazy, though, is that I was actually talking to one of my friends recently, and we were talking about the powers of social media and how sometimes we're just talking about content and how we create content. And sometimes the content that we don't even want to get big, it does just because of, like, whatever the title has in it or whatever. It's a weird algorithm. And he was saying that, like, Gareth Bale, for example, doesn't even run his own social media uh, channel anymore. He has his own team doing that because of how negative it is and how many people will come on there and just obviously – say things that will you know affect you and i think now with social media i don't think you get it as much on the college scene in soccer maybe like college football or like you know those people who are really in the limelight i can imagine in england how crazy it is and how you know uh, just how much it can consume you and how much energy it takes to try and back yourself up and prove things to people that otherwise don't even know you and don't even know the external factors there's only like five or six people in this world that you actually know specifically what's going on in their lives the rest of it, you're just speculating, and that speculation can sometimes really, you know, damage people's uh, just not egos, but like damage them as just people. And I don't think that uh, people can really play through that. Sometimes it's tough. The whole world knows Mike's got a kidney stone, though. Yeah, and the whole <laughs> world does know I have a kidney stone because I literally, Craig, we were, we were talking about not it that quiet. episode. With, that <laughs> episode with, that was that, too that, easy. That, no. That episode with with Aaron, I was I was on painkillers the entire time. I don't remember what I said. And it was I literally listen. 
I listened back to it. It was such a funny episode. I was watching him. I was like, Mike was like all over. I was like, oh my God, Mike. But Mike, can I add, I'm gonna add one more thing to that? Sure. I think uh, I think it was either on this podcast or somebody was mentioned that uh, Dan Abrahams, I think he maybe he had posted, he was like, you know, world-renowned sports psychologist. Uh, he was saying that he has noticed that some of his past clients or some of some of the players that he knows has like psychological issues because of the fans and because of how much pressure there is when they're playing in front of thousands and thousands of people, how much better they have gotten when all that noise is now silent and they can just focus on themselves, focus on the game. So that can, other, that can also be another case study as well as just, you know, how, how many of those players were fringe players who really separated themselves once this quarantine happened and these matches were behind closed doors, which is also another in- interesting thing as well in this whole pandemic. Well, you know, Craig, I have and a question for you, though. Like, can we can we really replicate this and put this into our session design, these external factors, when we're talking about the non-tangible ones? Is that a word? Intangible? Non-tangible? Intangible. Intangible. Well, one of my biz- biggest external factors playing, and this is kind of a joke, but it's kind of serious, was my mom yelling. And I know that sounds crazy, but it's true. And she's crazy Dutch hooligan. And like, she, but it was stressful for me. It was stressful in college and everything like that. I mean, you can sit my mom in the stands and she can yell at people. She can help you train. <laughs> but it like it's true, and like I can dumb it down to one person as opposed to ninety thousand didn't bother me. But <laughs> I love you, mom. But sometimes it got to be a lot. <laughs> so <laughs> my dad's quiet. But no, it's, and those I know that's kind of dumbing it down and making it simple. But we're also talking about young kids and their players here. So I'm taking a hit at you, sideline parents, right now. You know, and the those kind those kind of things that affect your young goalkeepers, um, and that you don't realize. Um, yeah. you know, so I think, you know, we have to kind of cover the gamut. They're not just playing in front of 90,000 people. Craig, I think what we need to do is we need to fly Saskia's mom to Reddit. Around, she can be the train, train, she should be the train, the training heckler, the training heckler. She um, can be the one get, we'll, get, we'll get her in behind the goal. There you go. Get her in behind the goal for a well, session. Well, Mina, you have a new job. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think, I think just on that as well, you, you were saying about players playing when there's now no pressure with the fans inside the ground. I think you'll probably see that might affect some players in a negative way as well. So you'll find yeah. some players who who buzz off of that atmosphere and that environment. Um, I think the biggest one really, you, you kind of look at a high energy, high pressing team like, like Liverpool um, aren't really hitting the same levels they were when there were fans in the ground. So as a team, does their style of football thrive off of having those fans, having that noise, having that support, ha- having that to bounce off and buzz off of? Um, so I think it can work in 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 both ways, no, I agree. positive and a negative. I agree with that. Yeah. I actually never, I never thought about that in regards Some to- Some people, uh, yeah, it amps them up. I mean, I yeah. made that joke about my mom, but I loved getting heckled by the other team's fans. Um, especially mm. in college, UConn is infamous for it. Cornell, like every, I remember my, like I loved playing there cause I would just crack up. And then playing pro against Atlanta and stuff. I love playing against Atlanta and they be behind my goal and just going and going. It would just amp me up. But but, uh, but on, a, on a positive note in regards to like just all those fans and stuff like that, like, I mean, I think a great example would be like, Suske, you're 99ers, the support you all had, you know, through that entire World Cup from from everyone here in the United States. I, I think that helped propel that team to kind of the, the glory th- that you helped achieve. Yeah, I mean, those fans, I mean, look at the Germany game, for example. I mean... I don't know if we you pull that game out under a different atmosphere. I mean, I wouldn't say we wouldn't, of course, you know, we did, but um, but that was a tough one. We could have lost the quarterfinal and that energy, that 
that boost in the stadium and on for the um, subs on the sideline, everything just put, helping propel and push the team into the second half and coming out with the win. And I think that that had a lot to do with it. Yeah. Yeah. Craig, how, do you guys, so do you guys do any sort of, you know, scenario types, you know, I mean, I don't, I don't know if you, you know, have like, you know, Saskia's mom, you know, type situations, you Will know, Amina's going to be the, famous on the now. side, on the side. <laughs> Will Amina, Will Will Amina. Amina on the side. I love <laughs> it. <laughs> but, um, but I mean, but do, do you guys, do you guys do that when you're, when you're putting these sessions together? Because I think that's one of the biggest issues, at least in, in the youth game is that, you know, we'll, we'll de- design a session and it's all based on concept of like what they're planning on from a tactical standpoint and, you know, and how they're, how they're doing this and how this guy scouts and all that stuff. And then they get to the game and like, like you're talking about these external factors, like, Oh, we didn't know that there's going to be divots on that left side of the field right there, you know, or the sun's coming from the right over there or whatever. So do you guys like do your scouting go like, Oh, at West Ham, it's like this. So, you know, we need to train like this, this week. Yeah. We've, I mean, we've, we've obviously done a lot of our tactical work now. Um, last session before the game tomorrow, when we've done our, our phases, our, our 11v11s and, and our, our big picture work, we've narrowed the pitch off that we're using um, because the pitch that we're going to be playing on um, Wednesday night is a lot narrower than the pitches we've got at the training ground. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's just understanding the grounds that you go into um, and, and you know, best trying to best replicate. I mean, we, we're not saying go and get your pitchforks out and, and smash up your training pitches <laughs> because you go in and play in a, a, a hole somewhere. <laughs> yeah, but you also, um, might, you also might hurt somebody. <laughs> but yeah, I mean... <laughs> Sorry, we yeah. have four, four ACLs because we decided to <laughs> yeah. play in a minefield. But, <laughs> the training grounds aren't... Groundskeepers aren't going to be happy about that either. You got pitchforks that you're just raking everything. Yeah, just just saying the groundsmen are fantastic. To be fair to us, they um they'll they'll do everything that we need. Um, but but you said on, on that, it's then how can you be creative with it? Um, so obviously the, the the session I sent across to you um was in the build up to to an evening game. So knowing that it was playing with floodlights, uh, and it's. Uh, the biggest thing I sat planning the session and I was thinking, well, what's, what's the biggest challenge that you're facing as the goalkeeper and it's losing the ball in flight. If it's a, a slightly higher, yeah. more looped cross, you're going to struggle. You're going to lose the ball through the floodlight. How can we now replicate that in training? And I'm thinking, well, do I bring the car out and park that, put the headlights on? No, that's not going to work. Uh, and we ended up um, pulling it up. Right now, so everyone I, can kind of see. Yeah. So we've got a little two goal practice, got some bodies, got the mannequins in, you know, we're always, always working in and around bodies and I'm actually throwing a a twist ball, a gym ball up in the air. And what that's aiming to do is, is just to distract the goalkeeper's eye line. Um, It's, you might lose the ball behind the the Swiss ball. And it's, you know, it's just trying to paint some different pictures and, and trying to give, um, some of the the challenges that we might be facing. I think across the session there was a couple that we got little deflections on it and, and bits and pieces, which wasn't I love this. aiming for. But so cool. I need a Swiss ball. You know. <laughs> I'm gonna tell Amanda right now. I need a Swiss ball. <laughs> Omar, have you ever done this with a Swiss ball before? I haven't, no, but I actually have a, I have a session at four o'clock today, which is like an hour or so, and I'm doing crossing today, so I think I might bring it out. I think it's awesome. Dude, it's this awesome is so idea. cool, man. And I think this idea, is also, man. I think this is also an example right here, you know, for everybody who's watching this, of using accessories in a way that's 
like works for what you're trying to train. Like you're not just throwing a Swiss ball out there because you're like, oh, this would be a cool idea for me to throw a Swiss ball up in the air. No, it's, you it's, know, like it's, it serves a purpose. Yeah, it's, you, you know, you've got to be sometimes, you know, although as goalkeepers, we play in the box as goalkeeping coaches at times, you've got to think out of the box. Um, be resourceful, and, yeah. I'm going to text her. I, I, I do. I'm going to be like, Jay, I need a Swiss ball. <laughs> Kitmen uh, everywhere great. are now ordering Swiss balls. <laughs> Greg, I have a question for you. Yeah. Um, so this past weekend, I was watching the uh, it was uh, Man City versus Sheffield, um, and I did like a full report on it. I was kind of like just breaking it down and watching it. And like middle of the game, they pan the camera over to the floodlights and they show you that it's like torrential rain. It's literally raining sideways. And when you're watching the game, you don't, you can't really make that up. Yeah. I mean, so you can't really make that because when you're looking at it, you're like, okay, you know, from a distance, it can look like it's kind of raining, but you can't really tell. And then I see there's a, there's a shot earlier in the game. Uh, Aaron Ramsdale gets a shot from like the you know, middle of the goal, kind of an unobstructed, unobstructed shot, shoots it. And the ball kind of swerves a little bit. And like last minute, you know, he works on his steering. He really like intentionally pushes the ball. You could tell that like he made his mind up early. Um, and when you guys say you guys know the weather reports, uh, on the weekend is going to be extremely, you know, rainy and how, how it is in England. Do you say to your goalkeepers, like, look, I understand right now it may not be wet. The surface may not be that wet. Maybe, you know, put some sprinklers on to artificially make it. But it's like right now I want you guys to pretend or uh, simulate as if we're in the game where it's going to be pouring rain this weekend most likely. And I want you to work on your parries. I want you to work on your steering. Is that something you guys do in terms of kind of like when you're expecting something to come and then preparing for it? Um, what game was it? Um, it might have been before we played West Ham in the league. Uh, it was the weather was probably the worst I've coached in. It the pitch at the start was all right. Come the end of the session, coach like, in the UK, and that was the worst weather you've. <laughs> yeah, like, I mean it says a lot there. Come to come to Southern California. If it drizzles, they shut down all the field. It's it's oh, true, wow. you guys. No, they, they shut down. They're not allowed on the pitches. They'll mess up our pitch. <laughs> yeah, they, they, we had puddles by the end of the session, and knowing the weather, it it was due to be rainy and drizzly, and so the conditions actually the day before a game were worse than what we were likely to face. Oh, and it, it, wow. it's just as you say, getting those messages in to to the keepers, thinking about your parry and thinking about your areas. Um, I actually used one of the outfield coaches to come and serve so that I could just focus on being on rebounds to really encourage the goalkeepers to make sure that they were parrying into good areas, making good, clear, early decisions. And again, during your, during your warm up on a game day, that's part of your messages that, that you've got to be getting across to your goalkeepers. Look, thinking about the conditions, is it wet now, but dry later? Okay. Think about how your start position is now going to change. Think about how the flight of the ball might, um, adjust as it bounces and their their little messages as coaches we can be getting across um at all times and even in your, your last moments before a game just just really helping them and, and even during the game just giving and yeah. reiterating those inf that information you know my sorry uh so you know one last thing i want to add to that is like you know for me as you guys know mike i do more you know personal private stuff i don't really do um in college i do you know, we have 20 games and I'm sure, you know, now Saskia, you understand it's like we have 20 games and you got to make sure the goalkeeper is sharp and ready for those 20 games. And the scouting report's important. The weather is important. All that stuff's very important. But on the side, kind of like private contractors, I get a lot of kids where I have to say that I don't have time, but I don't have time yeah, essentially to look at their schedules and say, OK, hey, this weekend it's going to rain. Let's work on some pressure training on, 
potential things you're going to see, or let's put you on a, a turf field today because you're going to be on a turf field on the weekend, you know? So I don't know. Do you have any advice for, you know, coaches who may not have the goalkeepers as, consist as consistently? Is that still something that we should try to implement into our sessions? Or is that something that we can just, you know, leave up to them and their imagination or what their team, their coach has to figure that part out? I think that the less contact time you've got with your goalkeepers, the more structured it needs to become. So you need to then have a real plan. If you know that uh, that you're working with a keeper for an hour every other week, for example, the work you're going to be doing is probably not going to be really game specific. It's going to be more general techniques, ticking over technical development. So that then you can come with a real structure and a real plan. And OK, today we are going to be working on angled shot stopping, block spread smothers and go with some real structure. And in that almost syllabus that you're working to, you can then cover off your or dealing with only parrying today mm. or we're only doing foot saves today. We're only doing this specific thing because you can really then tailor that and adjust that based on knowing, right, I've got them twice a month. So we're going to cover off all of this and then you've got your, your your structure and your syllabus to work through. And then obviously gotcha. that then where I'm with them every day, it, everything's game specific um, by the international breaks when it's individual specific. You know, sometimes you're going to have somebody come in with a coach that it's just not going to click. Like I, I know that as an, it's, I know that as an assistant coach or as a goalkeeper coach for club, there were certain coaches I would be on the opposite side of the field with because I couldn't, I couldn't stand it. And I, you know, I'm not, I don't respond to that kind of, um, especially field players to that, like, you tell me everything I'm supposed to do, you know, instead of, you know, let me figure out the situation for myself. So, you know, how do you, I don't think goalkeepers coaches do it because it's not, but how do you, how do we deal with that? You know, because coaches out there, and again, I'm speaking to, you know, a lot of youth coaches, it's distracting as well. Like give your information, trust on your training, trust on preparing your team and everything, but you know, also recognize when somebody doesn't respond to things that way or yelling or screaming and some people don't respond to that way. Like, how do you guys deal with that? That links back to you, to knowing your individuals, isn't it? And, yeah. and as a goalkeeping coach, if you've got a, a manager or a head coach who, who is very loud and much more of your sort of dictator and, and constant shouting, yelling information, it's how can you, without... <laughs> Without undermining the head coach, right. how can you sort of tell the goalkeeper, ignore that? Yeah, <laughs> it's true though. It's a it's a very difficult one, but who did it, it's, it's true. yeah, it, it's something that I personally haven't had to deal with. Um, but um, yeah, it, it's a tricky one to get that balance of going. Look, concentrate on your game. Focus on what you're doing. See the pictures that you see. Play the passes that you want to play that you think's right in the moment. Right. If it's wrong, if it's wrong, we'll pick it up in analysis afterwards uh, or a later date. And really give that ownership and, and that confidence onto the goalkeeper so that they will can almost channel out what's coming from the sideline, yeah. whether that be from you or from um, from the from the head coach or, or from the coach that's that's you know, being a bit more vocal than. And I, and helpful. I think I agree with everything you said. I think it's something that does have to be discussed. And, and even cause it comes down to field players as well. And you see it with, you know, 
you got four field players calling you, telling you what to do with the ball, where to pass it, especially to a goalkeeper. You know, when you're reading the whole field in front of you, you might have made the decision to, to, you know, to go straight to the nine or out to the eight or, you know, or something like that when, you know, your center back's telling you what to do and stuff. And and you see young keepers and you see keepers get, get kind of, all it takes is that fluster and that question. And now everything's screwed up. Now people aren't in position. Now they, you might have pressure on you and stuff like that. So I think, yeah, it's something that has to be discussed that how to filter out that noise and trust, you know, trust you as a goalkeeper, what we've taught you and what you need to do, because there's a lot of it. And I have to talk to my keepers about, it. I can see them like wanting to do something. Then they do something else. And I'm just like, why don't you go with your first day and think, well, so-and-so is yelling at me. So what? Her back is to the field, you know, her back is the whole field's behind her and she's facing you. And you saw the man coming on her. No, don't give her the ball. But she, you stopped and you questioned yourself. So I think that's something that has to be trained as well. I, I love that. I love you're bringing this up because the thing is, is that I think one of the biggest external factors, absolutely right, is this peer pressure, is peer pressure from from the other players on, on the squad. Omar, I know this is something that you've you've dealt with in the past as well, too. I know I've dealt dealt with it as well, too. Um and, and I think it's, it's one of those things that's very difficult to replicate, you know, in a training environment, unless, Craig, unless you're making that training environment as game realistic as possible, in which case those same, those, those same relationships, the same scenarios. Um, but I think the problem that I think Saskia and, 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 and you were talking about is maybe more, a little bit more of a toxic environment where maybe that, think, that ex- I, is a, Yeah, okay. I don't think it's necessarily a toxic environment. I think you have multiple personalities on a field. You have people that are very vocal leaders on the field. Um, Some people that are, let's say Mia Hamm's yelling at you, you know, when you're a young freshman goalkeeper or something like that. And, you know, whether you're intimidated, not that Mia was a yeller, but whether I'm just an example, Um, maybe you're intimidated and stuff. And I think that that's something that as goalkeeper coaches, we have to kind of identify and realize are they making these mistakes in training because they're listening to the other people? Let's have a talk about it. Why did you make that decision? Well, so-and-so was yelling at me and it's so whatever. No, make your own decision. What was your decision going to be? And I don't necessarily think it's toxic. I think you have just a lot of personalities on the field. I mean, that, and that, I think that's a really good point. Oh, Omar, I want to ask you this question because we're talking about the youth here. I know when you were at LA galaxy in the Academy over there, and uh, we'll we'll just uh, we'll say that's why you're a diehard LA Galaxy fan through and through. <laughs> um, um, is that you had a, you had a little bit of a bumps in the road, let's just say, um, you know, at one point where you where you lost your starting position, and, and you dropped back. And is that one of those situations too, where like when you lose that starting position, that now all of a sudden that external factor of knowing that you're no longer the number one is affecting how you're training, is affecting how you're playing, and it's something that's out of your control, other than you just trying to do the best job that you can. Yeah, no, definitely. And I, I made a podcast about it. I was pretty, you know, transparent about the situation. We, uh, I had gotten injured earlier. I was under 16. I had gotten injured uh, earlier in the season. I came back, kind of rushed it, had a few bad games. And then uh, after that, we went to the playoffs. And in the playoffs, uh, again, the high pressure of the Galaxy Academy is supposed to be this amazing thing. It was our first year as an academy team and had all these high expectations. And the first game, uh, we're tied 0-0. I dropped the ball, lose some focus. They tap it back in. We, we were down 1-0. We ended up losing 2-1. to and then after the game, you know, some of my teammates were just looking at me like, oh, man, you know, uh, how could you do that to us? You know, this is what we've been working for forever. And, and how could you do it? All this stuff. And then I uh, had some teammates on the phone with their parents and they're saying, yeah, we, we played amazing. And then they would look at me and say that, yeah, but Omar, you know, messed up in, in the, the cleanest language that I could say it in. 
Uh, and then, uh, you know, my goalkeeper coach walked up to me and he was like, Omar, that can never happen. That cannot happen. So instead of giving me words of advice, it was like, that can't happen. We're going to have a discussion at the hotel. We had two more games left in the tournament. So I was like, okay, maybe I could, you know, come back. And the team switched their tone with me and they were really happy. They said, hey, you know, just, you know, fight back. The other team had a favorable result for us. So if we win the next two games, we could probably, you know, potentially go through. Next game, we're up 1-0. They shoot a ball. I'm already looking forward to see where the next pass is going. Goes slips right through my hands. Goes in. We tie 1-1. After that, so the, the field next to us, they won their game. So by the time we figured out what the scores were, we were already out of the tournament. And I could see a quick shift in everyone's perspective of, okay, Omar's our guy, number one. Let's joke around with this guy. All of a sudden, I made those mistakes. And I became the number two. And from then on, I got number two reps. <laughs> I got... Uh, Pretty much the short end of every stick the, co- the goalkeepers all my teammates would make fun of me and stuff so for the next like six to eight months i became the guy in the background who i couldn't control what my teammates thought of me i couldn't do anything but i had to be patient and understand that there's a process to getting everyone's you know respect level back and getting their their trust back uh, my goalkeeper coach didn't really help me with that i'll be honest with you uh he was he was the guy the guy who ended up being the number one committed to the school that he was coaching at so you can see where his his priorities were um but Conflict time, of interest. Conflict of interest. Yeah, there, I'm like, everybody get comfortable. This is a good story. No, big conflict <laughs> of interest. But no, over over time, I think, yeah, again, it's it's one of those ones where you kind of have to have that self-reflection. And if your coaching staff's not going to be there for you and, and give you those, you know, uh, like Craig was saying earlier, it's that that trust factor where you understand that you can be hard on somebody. It's like you have kids, your goalkeeping unit, you're essentially the father or the uncle of the kids, and you gotta make sure that they're like, hey, there's a fine line between us joking around and us being serious. And at the end of the day, it's the business. So I think my parents described that to me very well of like, look, you're playing for an organization that has a lot of history. So you can't go in there crying that you've made mistakes and they're not giving you your spot, your spot back. So instead of doing that, keep showing up to practice, keep on doing the little things right. And I think that's what happened uh, to me psychologically is I realized, okay, to get the trust back to people, it's not going to be overnight. I have to be very, very patient and then do a string of little things right for a longer period of time. <laughs> and once I got that figured out, then I'll be fine. So it took me about a year. I got my my spot back, and I'm the goalkeeper, and I ended up, you know, uh, switching off back and forth game after game. So it was good after that, but it was still those rough periods where no one really knew what I was going through. I, I went to every session just like in the dark. You know, I was kind of sad. I was like, damn, okay, what if I mess up today? What if I do this? What if I do that? And no one ever asked me, hey, so how are you doing? I probably yeah. would have unleashed, and I would have told them everything. But for me, it was like I got to take on these little, like, uh, these demons, conquer these demons on my yeah, own. But- but I think part of what we're talking about is a, as a goalkeeper coach and stuff like that, you know, you need to, you need to identify how to control those, those outside, outside influences. Like you, who's running your team, you know, the kids Definitely. and no, that's unacceptable. I've, I've stood there on the field and seen one of my keepers give up a bad goal in training and, you know, everything's competition out there at UCLA and stuff like that and see, you know, it's a bad goal and, you know, it costs the small side game. Um, at that moment and a co- like a comment being made like I can't believe she didn't get that in the summer I was like well maybe if your freaking forward scored seven of the sh- one of the seven <laughs> shots she just shanked wide we wouldn't have even gotten to that point you know yeah. and I'm like no you you know you've got to shut people up sometimes and and I'm sorry like nobody messes with my keepers I'm an, I'll talk to them you know I but, think I- and, and no and I've seen coaches let kids run run the team and i've seen it at such a young age when i was coaching camp these kids hammering like 10 year old 12 year old how old was he hammering him in practice and i walked up and i go everybody come here because i was director of goalkeeping and i was like unacceptable 
I'm like, but he let the kids, that was his, the way he taught. He let, these are children, number one. Number two, who's, re, who's leading this? Like, yeah. Who's well, my goalkeeper coach, we, as I've said before, he's, he was part of the Air Force. So there's a lot of things that they do in terms of like psychological warfare. He's like waterboarding is next. I'll tell you, there's, I'll tell you, Craig, I know this is probably, we're taking away from the episode. Don't ever do it again, Omar. No, but I, I remember, I remember there was, there were certain things that he would do for me and say things to me that I was just like, okay, I don't know what side you're playing on here. Like who's like, if you're trying to make me better or make me, you know, think about things in a more self-reflective way. But I remember there was one time and I, some of my friends said this to me, but we're sitting behind the, he, he was sitting behind the goal, like next to me. And we're playing like a little scrimmage. And every time the ball gets reset to the top, you know, I turn back to my goalkeepers and we're just talking and stuff. And then I turned back to him like once or twice and he didn't say a word to me. I was kind of looking at him to give me some feedback or something. And he started staring at me and I, I hate it when people stare at me. I just, I don't, I don't enjoy it. So I kept looking at him. I was like, coach, what'd you think of that? And he didn't say a word. Just kept staring at me with this weird, like aloof face. Like just kind of like, just didn't know what he, I don't know what he was thinking. So the next one, you know, I, I make kind of like nice Craig staring at cross. you right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, I make I make I make a nice, I make a, you know, a clean catch, and again, I get kind of worried. I'm like, coach, when you, when you don't say something to me, I get worried that you're like, Wyatt is not good. And so, you know, after a few minutes pass by, everybody go gets, goes and gets water. He goes, Omar, come back here real quick. It's like, do you understand what I was doing there to you? And I was like, uh, not really. I'm kind of you know worried. I usually you get upset when you don't talk. Uh, and he was like, Omar, but think about it you want to be a pro, right? And I was like, yeah. He's like, well, here at the stadium, we probably average about 27,000 fans. So what ha- what happens, Omar, if a fan behind the goal that you don't like is staring at you for, for 90 minutes? Are you going to turn <laughs> around and say to every single 27,000 of those fans, <laughs> stop staring at me? And I was like, coach, but that, I was like, I, I'm 16. I'm like, coach, I don't know how that has relevance to you not responding to like my question about that I have a that I have a good rep there. He's like, but think about it, Omar. Psychologically, Maybe I'm testing just didn't you. have the answer. Yeah, I was, I was like, he's testing me. I was just like, but that's what I mean, though, and that's where it's like. I like, think we're losing. Craig. Sometimes you need to, you need to figure out a way to like, obviously push the envelope to a certain extent. Like Craig was saying, you know, have individual mm-hmm. plans when the when the goalkeepers go to international break that you kind of have to, you know, hey, look, you're probably not the one getting the minutes, but I need you to understand that these next this next week of you being here solo and you and you and I training. I'm going to push you to the, to the, to the, to the limit. So I know that psychologically you're ready to go if we need you in those, in those big moments. So again, it's like those, that, that trust level where you kind of have to walk that fine line. But by the way, I, I will say, I, I really up, can't wait for the Omar ZD one man show. I am buying tickets to that. Thing. I think that was, I think that was 15 minutes. <laughs> that was hilarious, dude. That was Craig, hilarious. I, I, Greg went like this at one point. <laughs> I, I saw, I saw Craig's, Craig's face go like this, and I, I didn't know if he was like embarrassed for you or sorry, if he was just Craig, laughing so hard. I, do you know what? I was the the just the story with him just sitting there and, and staring. I, I just that that got me. It's it's definitely a new one. I might try that tomorrow evening with with, with the youngins. Yeah. See what happens. But but, uh, what, but I mean, go Craig, what, please go Craig, yeah, what, please one, go um, Craig. <laughs> Just, just on 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 those those sorts of similar lines. One thing I do with 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 the kids is is I'll take up and use different tones of voice, and and different almost personalities with them. So sometimes I'm on their level, best mate, laughing, joking. I'll I'll do the running with them. I'll do the warm up with them. I'll do all sorts of stuff. And some days I'm loud and erratic and all over the place. And it's just trying to keep them in a bit of a, a an unsettled environment at times. 
but also as 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 we touched on when you've got teammates shouting and and wanting this pass wanting this pass do this do this coaches shouting parents uh man walking his dog through the park having a little pop or or, or whatever it is uh, you've 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 still got to kind of prep your keepers for that and you know taking up those different personalities those different tones of voice different levels of information uh, is is all little tools that that you can use as as goalkeeping coaches to just to help and, and, and prep um, the keepers for anything, really, because as we all know, goalkeeping is such a, a random and varied um, world. Yeah, and I think sometimes the silence is a good thing. I mean, I do it at practice. Like, like we, if we're doing um, scrimmaging stuff, like I'll just let them play, like make, figure out your decisions. Like, you know, sometimes I'll see a keeper looking at me after something happened. I'm like, play like you know not it can't be in the back of your goal for every single thing and I think <laughs> the silence is good maybe not just creepy staring but the silence is just good I think I'll try that too Craig I think I'll just stand there Wednesday <laughs> like this staring oh my god I might cry staring. if I do that this, the staring thing though although I, I think we, we brought up a really good point in regards to um kind of like like you know Saskia you being like you know them going like this it's like look it's like I can't control I can't control the game. So I'm when I'm out, when you're out there playing. So I think one of the toughest things for me personally, you know, maybe that's, maybe that's why I, I didn't have the, the, uh, the, the highest of levels of success is because of um, I wasn't willing to accept the external factors that were out of my control. Like when I'd go out there and like the sun was bothering me, I was just waiting for someone to remove the sun, you know, or I would be like looking at like, oh, the it was clouds, in your like, mind. Hope. It's all yeah, you it was in my about. mind. Here comes all the cross. Oh about. no, the sun. Here comes the exactly. sun. Oh no, the sun. Yeah. Exactly. You know, and, and I think that that in itself is really, really difficult, Craig, is for young goalkeepers, especially. And obviously, you know, you're working with the little ones at, at 10 years old, even for them to be willing to accept that there's some things that are, that are out of their control. Like your team scoring is kind of out of your control. Yeah, 100 percent. I mean, uh, one one of the big things from a sort of a, a cultural and understanding point of view that I like to get across to to the keepers across all the levels is control the controllables. Yeah. You know, con- control what you can control. Control how you prep for training in a game. Control mm-hmm. how you recover from training in a game. Control your reflection time. Be that watching the game back, sitting and making your notes. Control your approach to training. Control your nutrition. Control how you conduct yourself in the gym. Control the extras that you're doing. Control the questions you're asking of me and asking of yourself. You can't control your strikers scoring. You can't control your midfielders playing the right pass at the right time. You can't control the weather. You can't control the pitch unless you want to get there and cut the grass and <laughs> roll it and, and paint the lines and do whatever. You know you. You can only control what you can control and, and you should, we've got enough to think about as goalkeepers with start positions, decision-making, assessments of type of passes, playing passes, organisation, communication, shot-stopping, 1v1. We've got so much other stuff going on. We can't and shouldn't waste our time and our energy and our mental capacity on the weather or the pitch uh-huh. or missed opportunities at the other end or the worldy save that we've just made because it's happened mm-hmm. so it's done it, it, it's finished you, you can't relive that moment yeah you've dug one out the top corner brilliant you've now got a corner to go and defend so get your organization right 
control what you can control and, and, and live in the moment and, and don't people get too caught up on oh, yeah excuses the only excuse is how you've approached a situation I mean, I can't tell you guys, you know, all three of you guys here, you know, how many times just when I think I'm reflecting back on my career right now, maybe I won't talk for 15 minutes about, you know, some of these mistakes like, <laughs> like Omar has, but, uh, how long I, I was can't, your career? <laughs> my kidding. career. Oh, okay. Definitely not as long as yours. Definitely not as long as yours. Never mind. Never mind. Um, <laughs> it was, uh, four years of sitting on benches. I was kidding. And, uh, oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. <laughs> okay. Um, Anyway, is uh, how many excuses I made for myself? Well, that's because, well, that was because the that's because the sun. Well, those those fields. If it, I, you know, if, if my trial had been at a different facility, you know, um, if so and so hadn't been on that team, it would have been a different situation, you know. Oh, just me and that coach just didn't connect. All those sorts of things, you know. And I think Craig, I think you know one of the things that we're kind of bearing down right now is that if you want to be a true professional, and Omar, I think that's what Mister Military Man was trying to instill in you in a in a very <laughs> awkward way is that you are going to have to get past that stuff, you know, and Suski, I know you who've played at the highest of highest of levels know that is that you had to get past everything. Yeah. I didn't really let it. I never let stuff like that bog me down. I was never like, Oh man, it's raining or Oh man. All right. The Wilhelmina story, but, um, but like, and when I see keepers do that, okay. The pitch was that you slipped. I know you slipped. We all saw you slip. You don't have to tell me you slipped. We don't have to focus on the fact you slipped. You don't just get up and keep playing, please. You know, like you don't have to look back at your foot and the ground and the, oh, the divid, go fix it. Like, we get it. You know what I mean? Just move on with it. Um, and yet it is what it is. I, I just, I never got, you know, if like, like Craig said, you know, okay, I put it over the bar, I got it. And, you know, I should maybe should have held on to it. Well, you know, I didn't. And now I got a corner to deal with. Um, and that's in the past now. So, and even a mistake that you make, move on. You know, I always say, don't follow a mistake by another mistake, whether that be focusing on the first one and not being refocused, whether that be making two bad decisions, because you're so focused on the first bad decision you make, you don't focus enough to make the right second decision, you know, so, so move on. Yeah. You know, Craig, I, I got a question for you in regards to when you, where you're working with all sorts, especially at the at the training centers, you're working with all different types of profiles of goalkeepers, you know, and, and do you tend to take that into consideration when how you handle each one based on their profile differently, based on uncontrollables that they're dealing with? At times I do, but at times I don't, because the game doesn't cater for different individuals. The game is what it is, whether you're an introvert, extrovert, confident, not confident. The game is still what it is, and, and that's never going to change. So there has to be an element of, well, this is the picture. This is the scenario. This is what you're going to face. These are the challenges that are going to come against you. But it's also then how can we we balance out the imbalances? So you've got an introvert. How can we how can we instill them with confidence? How can we bring them out of their shell a little bit and and, and enable them to deal with your, your your external pressures of your fans because I find that extroverts are better at dealing with the external stuff of fans and all of that kind of thing because naturally they're going to be more confident and more outgoing so it's more ah, brush it off fine no problem whereas your introverts your quiet characters that will probably eat away at them slowly and, and and affect them a little bit more so it's teaching them to deal with those kinds of things but in terms of the in-game stuff 
in games the same, regardless of your your personality type and and the type of goalkeeper that you are. I um t- so well said because what I like is to find out <clears throat> off the field that somebody is that. Like all of a sudden I'm like, gosh, I didn't know you were such an introvert, or I didn't know you were such an extrovert. Because on the game, it's the game. You know, it requires the same. It requires you know. A certain communication it requires a certain way of handling like you know it's a gray area but you guys understand what i'm saying i totally agree with that and then to come find out that oh you know she's really you know shy and off the field and really intro i was like i had no idea you know that's not what she just brings what we need on the field so um i totally agree with that game's a game there's a there's a, there's a keeper that i'm working with at, at on the moment left. We were staring at him. I, 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 I sat through 15 minutes of LA Galaxy and he listens to me talking about different types of goalkeepers for two minutes and he's gone and done one. <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. Craig was, Craig was staring at me super weird. So I got to I'm back, I'm back. I, I, was that one fan behind, I was that one fan behind the goal. <laughs> that was Ozzy. That was awesome. I had a senior with... 15 minutes of Valley Gallery. We gotta do something about this guy. He keeps staring at me. I don't know what to do. <laughs> that was awesome. Well, okay, okay. That's when you know Craig finally has got he's gotten comfortable on the show. It's like once he's willing to start taking knocks at Omar, he's like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm good now. I'm good. That was I've, a got fair enough. Enough. I've, got I've got my second win now. It's it's five to eleven, so <laughs> I might go for a run in a bit. Um <laughs> Uh, yeah, I was, uh, I was saying about I am um, working with a goalkeeper at the minute who's very much an introvert, very quiet, very shy, um, very technically able goalkeeper, very comfortable with the ball at, uh, at feet, very confident to play. And she's very comfortable in a football environment, but in a social environment, having conversations on a one to one basis, not that great. And one thing that we've been working on. Um, we've been working together for a couple of years now, it is working on a, a football personality. So as she steps through the gate, as she steps on the Astro or, or steps into the changing room, steps onto a pitch, there's almost this switch that goes in in her head and she becomes this, this different person and this, this elite goalkeeper. Um, <coughs> and and that's, that's one thing that we're, we're, we're tweaking and refining. And, and it's not changing her as a person, it's changing her as a footballer. Nice. So off the pitch, she's still the same, still the same person, still the same individual. We're not tweaking and changing that because that is who who she is. We're just trying to enhance who she is when she steps onto a football pitch, and it, it's a slow process. And and what you've got, uh, what coaches need to understand at, at youth level, you're not developing a goalkeeper to be the complete professional on a Saturday or a Sunday you're developing them to be the complete professional when they hit 21, 22, 23, 24 years old. So it doesn't have to happen overnight. And you've got, particularly when we're working in, in these sorts of areas of the game, the, the mental side of things, you've got to give goalkeepers time. You've got to create an environment where mistakes are accepted, but taken as lessons. And you create somewhere in an environment that goalkeepers feel comfortable to grow, develop, learn and ask questions and not put pressures on them to be the best come the Saturday or Sunday, but to be better than they were last Saturday or Sunday. Love it. Yeah. I'll come One, for Reading. 
I mean, that was, that was, that was, that was, that was incredible, man. That was absolutely, I mean, that was so well, so well said. We're going to, uh, we're going to take a poll after this. I'm going to do a survey to see which one people were affected by more my story or Craig's. <laughs> <laughs> I'm excited to see the results. Oh my God. Oh my gosh, man. Well, well, Craig, I know it's, I know it's like 11 o'clock, uh, you know, for you, for you right now. So, uh, we'll, we're, we're going to, we're going to start wrapping, uh, start wrapping up right now. Um, but, uh, one thing, I, one thing I do actually want to ask you is, uh, because this is, this is an external factor that I never even thought about until we had a DOC on last week. And, and I don't know if this is a situation that is common in the UK as well. And I know Omar and Saskia, you guys have dealt with this here is that it's the demands that the team coach puts on the goalkeeper at the club, uh, at the youth level, you're saying you're not trying to make the consummate professional on a Saturday or Sunday, you know, at 12 years old. Well, there's a lot of team coaches out there who don't understand that because they look at the goalkeeper as just an accessory to their team's development. So they want a finished product goalkeeper out there. Um, to get their job done because they're not thinking about the goalkeeper. They're thinking about their team and, and how their team has been playing and stuff. And they're just looking for somebody that's going to be able to facilitate that and, and make it work. You know, um, I don't, I don't, I'm trying to think what I'm trying to say right here. Should have just ended it on the one before. You know, on, 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 on that, I, I kind of get where you're going with it. Uh, uh, and on that one, a goalkeeper is a part of the team, not apart from the team. And any coach that thinks, right, the goalkeeper's just there because I'm working with 10 outfield players and I have to have someone who wears a different colour shirt and puts on some silly gloves and throws themselves around, that's the wrong way of approaching it and you should probably step away from football. The goalkeeper is just as important as any other player on the pitch. And that it shows the importance of the goalkeeper because they need this special person to look after them and coach them and nurture them and work with them for their specific technical, tactical, physical, psychological, social, all of that, all that good stuff. So, and and as coaches, they've got to be more open to listening to the goalkeeping coach if there's one available. And if there isn't a goalkeeping coach available and you are really that passionate about developing young football players, read up and learn about goalkeeping and understand what being a goalkeeper is, what being a goalkeeper requires, and at times what being a goalkeeper actually feels like, and speak to your goalkeeper about that. You can't put any more pressure on the goalkeeper than you put on any other member of the team, because the goalkeeper is is part of that same team, and is still going on the same learning journey and development journey as every other player on your team. So help them with that, support them with that. And if you haven't got the tools and knowledge available to you to, to do that, point the goalkeeper in the direction of someone who can. There's so much information out there nowadays with, with, with podcasts, with, with inside YouTube. the 18. <laughs> exactly. You know, there's, 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 come on. Oh, you know, the the internet is amazing. And pro GK Academy. And pro GK Academy. There's so much information. Information's available so much now with the internet. And you've got to be able to use that and utilize it and take some of it with a pinch of salt because some of the the circus skills that get shown on on social media aren't necessarily all that relevant. um, We talk about that all the time. I have Um, some of my favorites. 
Yeah, I mean, I don't remember the last time I saw a goalkeeper jump through hoops on a pitch. Oh my god, I saw that one the other day. The dive to the hoop at the ball. I was like, what is going on? Yeah, it's but you know, he put the 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 coaches that that do those sessions probably looked, what's this numpty doing throwing a Swiss ball around in a session? But you know, (laughs) hey ho, we we all have our own ways of doing things and there's no right or wrong way of doing it. Um there's some wrong ways. But there are some very horrific ways Um but I think coaches have to take a, a, an interest in the goalkeeping side of things and help to, to, to guide and support the goalkeeper the same they would do any other member of the team. And if the coach doesn't want to do that, then they can at me on Twitter or Instagram or whatever, and, and I'll have the discussion with them. That's a great way to, that's a great way to plug you. By the way, Craig, thank you for saving my completely digging a hole after your eloquent speech where we probably should have ended the entire podcast. End it and now, like, Mike. End it now, Mike. <laughs> Before we continue on. No, honestly, Craig, I mean, th- thanks for taking all the time, man. Um, again, like you were saying, That's you know, great. if anybody wants to reach out to you at, on social media, you know, Twitter, Instagram, what, what was the best place to reach out? Yeah, Twitter, Instagram um, is just Craig McCreeth, just straight out. Um, I don't really use Facebook. I don't know how it works at all. I don't understand, don't understand it. I don't really understand. Sus- Saskia, she- She's a big I know Facebook. <laughs> yeah, I don't really understand social media. I don't really post anything. I kind of just, I'm more of an observer. I just, just have a little flick through and a little read. And, but yeah, That's if a... people want to talk about goalkeeping, I'm awesome. Yeah. I haven't well, charged my phone for three days, so feel free. If you want to talk it quickly, call Craig. If you want to sit and listen for an hour, call Omar. <laughs> oh no no almost got a hundred thousand more di- di- direct messages Come, coming coming through right there you know i love uh, you Omar. oh I my, love you too. i'll, oh I'll forward all, all the messages i can answer i'll forward them to you guys by the way craig, <laughs> by the way craig, craig thanks for being a fan by the way um Absolutely. It's, it's 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 awesome like i said you know this happens all the time you know i thought it was really funny we were talking about the story earlier on is that You're when uh again, when, aren't you? no no when you reached out <laughs> And you were talking about, hey, I love the Aaron Naylor episode. You know, I'm definitely going to make sure to look out for the ways that she's standing tomorrow at the pitch. I was like, wait, who is this? I thought this was like a fan. And it's like, oh, yeah, I'm also the coach for Coach at Reading. Yeah, told yeah, me, yeah. You told me that. Uh, she's great. Oh, my gosh. All right, yeah. Remember, guys, contact at insidethe18media.com if you have a guest suggestion or a topic suggestion. And, guys, if you're the goalkeeper coach at a professional team, just reach out to us and uh, and, and give, give us a topic suggestion. Honestly, anybody give us a topic suggestion. I'm digging a hole again, guys. Yep. At ProGKAcademy underscore on Instagram. <laughs> at Saskia underscore Weber on all social media platforms. I've got a case of the giggles at Goalkeeper Podcast for us. That's all the time on Inside the 18. We are out later, guys. Hey, everyone, it's Michael. Before we move on to our next segment, want to remind you all to subscribe, like, and follow at Goalkeeper Podcast on all social medias, including YouTube, where fully edited vodcasts are housed with exclusive clips. The more followers we get, the more we can give back to the GK community. Let's all keep paying the knowledge forward, and on with the show. Welcome. 
Welcome to Inside the 18. I'm Michael Majid, live from Palm Desert, California, for probably at least another day or so. Hopefully it won't be like when quarantine, when like we first started that, Omar. And I was like, yeah. probably another day or so. And then like five months later, I was like, yeah, I'm still here. Uh, I'm Michael Majid. With me, you know him as the czar of the virtual background, the one and only Pro GK Academy himself, Omar Zini. And joining us with a lovely, lovely morning emanating light coming right into his living room. We've got the one and only goalkeeper coach for Melbourne victory, Thomas Faudry. Did I say it right, Thomas? Yeah, perfect. Oh man, I love it. Man, uh, Thomas, I'm, I'm excited to have you, man. Um, this, is a, this is the first time we've been having somebody from a, I'm not gonna try to do the down under because it's just gonna sound embarrassing. <laughs> and Omar already knows with the accents thing that like, if Saskia was here right now, she'd be like, just don't, don't even, don't <laughs> even try. But, uh, but we're excited, man, because uh, you know, there's a lot of good stuff going on in Australia. And I think you know, some of our audience kind of is sometimes not unfamiliar with, uh, with what's going on out there. So um, maybe for some of the people out there who might not be familiar with the, the Hyundai A-League, why don't you tell them a little bit about it? Yeah, so um, for the first time, there's a collective of 12 teams this season. We added one team uh, last season, and there's a new team that's going to be added this year. Um, the, the clubs are, it's a nationwide league, so we don't have regions or divisions. Um, we have one league, one professional league and structure. Um, so uh, Australia is so vast that we, we have to fly to, to most of our games. Um, I think there's a few Melbourne-based teams, a few Sydney-based teams, and then kind of a collective across the country. Uh, and the, the league's in the, the process of going independent now. The, the clubs are looking to go independent from the federation. So obviously that's come at a challenging time and there's, um, there's all sorts of plans and processes that they're trying to put in place to improve the development of football in Australia. Uh, and they're looking at uh, potentially a, a nationwide second division as well. So they're, they're looking at lots of different things, where, ways they can develop players, improve national teams. So it's, it's quite an exciting time to be in Australia. One of the exciting things that I, I saw, you know, when I was watching the Hyundai A-League is and mainly, and Omar, I don't know if you know this, but uh, when the when lockdown first started here in the United States and all the leagues around the world were shutting down, A-League was still going on. So I was like fiending trying to find some 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 real live football that was going on, and I could find the Indian Super League and I could or the Indian Premier League and uh, the Hyundai A League. So I started watching these Hyundai A League games, and by but the thing was is that like the announcers were so passionate. It was like the complete opposite of like the UK announcers. I was like, oh my gosh, you guys are like a one eighty because like they really get into it into into the commentary. It provides honestly. It does provide a different perspective on things. You actually feel like you're part of the you're part of the match. You're a part of um, like the fan base there. And I remember if you guys remember, like the Fox Soccer Channel, they used to have opportunities for fans who were like diehard fans of specific teams. They would go on and be in the little broadcast booth. If you're a Liverpool fan, Everton fan, and you play each other, and you would sit there and you guys would commentate back and forth, and you could hear the passion like oozing out of their out of their out of their mouths. And I think that's when I, I when even growing up, sometimes the Australian League was on TV too, and I would watch it. Like you said, the, the commentary just makes you feel as though you're supporting that team and that league as if you were a die, you know, diehard or day one fast. So, yeah, definitely provides a different uh, level of kind of just, I don't know, love for the sport and the game that I don't think we have here. And, uh, yeah, I wish we could get more of it. 
I mean, I mean, Thomas, you know, one, one thing we want to know, you know, kind of one of the things, by the way, for those of you guys who are unfamiliar with Thomas, and we're going to kind of get into your, your backstory a little bit right here before we kind of get into today's topic, um, is that uh, Thomas is actually not originally from Australia. Thomas is from the UK. This is another one of those Tim Dittmer connections. Shout out to the one and only Tim Dittmer. Um, one and he's only. The, the ledge, the ledge himself. Um, Thomas, why don't you tell us a little bit about how, how you ended up in Australia, how you ended up at, at Melbourne Victory? Yeah, good question. Like uh, My background is predominantly in academy football in England. Um, so I worked in academy football for approximately eight or nine years prior to coming out to Australia. I spent a couple of years in New Zealand as well uh, and had quite a, like a diverse kind of cultural experience um, and difference in terms of environments, cultures, different clubs and teams I've worked with, different coaches. Uh, and actually a, a, a friend of mine, um, became the academy director at a club called Brisbane Raw, who are another A-League club. So originally I come out here to Brisbane to work in the academy space. Uh, and then over time, um, I was offered an opportunity to come to Melbourne Victory in time, like a kind of head of goalkeeping role. So I look after the, the first team space and oversee all of the goalkeeping at the club, um, which I think is becoming like a more and more common role. Um, but it's maybe not um, exclusive to Australia. I, I don't think they've really had that kind of approach before. Um, so it's quite interesting and it's an interesting project and where we can kind of um, like have a blueprint and a structure and a methodology that we follow throughout the entire club. Uh, and I've been in Melbourne for about a year and a half now. So it's it's been an interesting project so far and one that I hope we can continue for a long time. You know, it's it's really fascinating to me because you know, obviously Omar and I, we know Andrew Sparks. I've, I I met Sparks back when he was like 21 years old, and uh, you know, he he also had such a background in academy football, and then obviously made the decision to go to Orlando, um, not Orlando in the United States, guys, Orlando in, in South Africa, and and that opened a lot of doors for him back home. So do you see a lot of coaches uh, in the UK, you know, making that decision to go, you know, maybe I'll go overseas and get some first team experience before before I try to come back. Yeah, I think it's a really interesting point because um, there isn't a massive amount of opportunity to progress from academy football directly into first team football. I think maybe you get pigeonholed a little bit if you're working with younger players quite frequently. You've been in that environment a long time and it's very difficult and challenging for clubs to offer you that opportunity. Um, whereas overseas, if, if you've come from a, a footballing country and culture, you're educated, you have a background in football and coaching, uh, sometimes it can be easier to work at a professional level in that country. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's an interesting point. And I, I would recommend it to anybody um, to, to go overseas, to gain experience, to have exposure into first team, to be able to try and implement new ideas. So I, I think it's a really good pathway and I think it gives you quite a diverse experience as well. There you go, Omar. Next year, you're going to be a first division goalkeeper coach uh, in like New Guinea. Or something like that. <laughs> I've always, I've always wondered if I went to like Mexico, like if I tried to do some of the sessions that we do here, like I guess the American European type system, like what would they, what would the goalkeepers there think of, you know, like what, what are you doing with us? Why aren't you not, you know, why aren't you hitting it off a ramp? Like why aren't you doing a little bit more eccentric stuff? I don't know how it would translate, but I don't know if you had that issue. Uh, Thomas kind of moving from, you know, it's England from then going to, to Australia now is like understanding, like okay, there are certain things that we may do a little bit different. And did those goalkeepers like buy in right away, or is it like very similar? Yeah, I think uh, like anywhere there, there's different, like there's cultural differences and backgrounds in terms of goalkeeping, style of goalkeeping, style of training, uh, expectation that what goalkeeping looks like to, to that particular goalkeeper of that country. Uh, and I think 
first and foremost, you have to have that discussion with your goalkeepers um, and, and try to uh, give some insight into your ideas. And I think like words, videos, pictures are a great way of doing that. Um, so hopefully I can show you guys a little bit about the presentation, about how we kind of shape what goalkeeping looks like and how we deliver that in training. And I think um, as long as you're the goalkeepers that you're working with, as long as they're open minded and give your time and approach um, the, the kind of time and attention it needs uh, and you can kind of give them evidence of it working and improving them uh, and you're uh, actively trying to help them. I think that's how you get the buy in. So it's about um, like being an authentic character, trying to help them and, and help them improve and develop and play and progress um, and then showing your ideas and actually showing how they work. And I, I'm a big believer in showing evidence of performance and performance measurement and giving them objective measures uh, and also analy analytically by the eye as well, like showing them details within training. And I think you have to have like the overall blueprint first. I think you have to start really vague first before you go into the detail. Um, so I think as long as you can get your message across, as long as they buy into it and see that it's potentially going to help and progress them, I think, think that's key. And I think mm -hmm. that doesn't matter what you're coaching, how you're coaching, um, what um, background and culture you come from. I think as long as you're, uh, you've got alignment and agreement along those lines, then that's the main thing. Yep. So Omar, all you got to do is convince those kids that your way, your, your way, uh, your, your way is effective essentially to them. Uh, you <laughs> no, know? But I, I like, I like, I like what Thomas just said there. I think that was a really good point of kind of like, kind of give like, you know, the general perspective. And then from there you really try and, you know, for me, at least I try to like hone in on, uh, let's say we're doing a crossing session and I know certain kids or certain people that I'm working with, they may have a deficiency on crossing or the film, you know, I can prove to them by the film that, Hey, you're, you're pausing a little too long. You're getting there a little bit too late balls coming down when you're catching it. It's like, okay, we gave them the general picture of what cross looks like. Now we're going to dive into it a little bit deeper based off of their, it's an objective view, right? Based off of what their specific, um, whatever, whatever, whatever's hindering their progress. And then from there, like you said, you kind of gain their trust in a sense, because now you're showing them kind of like objective truth. Like this is the actual, this is what's happening. Now let's try and shape it. I think with any situation, if you're with goalkeepers who uh, they can feel that you're passionate about the situation or you're passionate about their development, I think from there you have their trust and from there you can actually really develop them. Yeah. And I, and I think, I think that's, that's the number one key is just, it's like, you need to make sure that these sessions are relatable. Look at that segue right there into the topic today. Do you <laughs> love it, Omar? You got to love it. Uh, today's topic guys is red relatable session design. Um, one of the really, really interesting, you know, kind of like, um, like myths about like relatable session designs or like game related sessions by a lot of people out there is like, they think it's like, Oh, it's just scrimmaging. It's just scrimmaging out there. And they're just playing the game. They're just playing the game. Um, it's obviously a heck of a lot more than that. So Thomas kind of in your words, what do we mean by relatable? So for me, game related training is obviously uh, realistic training to the game. Uh, and Omar, I saw your discussion with Tim Dittmar. Uh, talking about how he starts all of his session planning from the game, takes elements from the game, a snapshot from the game into the training session. I think that's a really important point. Uh, and my education as well, I've done some outfield coaching qualifications uh, and everything starts at 11 v 11 and everything is your system of play against the opposition system of play. And when you work in first team football, I think it's really important to take into consideration uh, how you play and how they play and trying to find that balance. And then when you hone in on the, the snapshot of the game, that's how you make it relatable. 
uh, and you might look at like five, six, seven seconds prior to the action developing. Um, so I try to work in passages of play instead of repetitions. So we might have a passage of play that lasts a certain amount of time that involves a certain amount of actions that are relative to the game. Uh, and I think that the presentation I'll show will give a little bit more insight and, and context to that. Uh, however, I think the training session must look like the game. Well, so do you want to do you want to pull up some of those clips right now so we can kind of check it out? Sure. All right, let's uh, let's do this. See, this this you know when you got pros on Omar, and they got their sessions <laughs> ready to go. Look at this! Nah. Wow, next level. <laughs> so I'll talk. I'm very conscious of it becoming a webinar, so feel free to interject at any time and speak and ask questions, no problem. Um, so two things is that this is kind of like one element of our goalkeeping performance plan. Uh, and the goalkeeper performance plan like has everything from our first team objectives through to the academy, our recruitment. Um, so this is kind of just based around the way we play and how we go from the game into training. Um, so the first thing in the top left-hand corner is kind of our mission statement. So creating brave, commanding and proactive goalkeepers. So that's kind of what we want to deliver. Uh, and then when you're kind of uh, designing and implementing your performance plan, I think it's really important to consider a lot of different factors. Uh, and this is kind of like uh, a template for me of how to design that performance plan. Uh, and first of all, like our statement of intent about creating proactive goalkeepers has to align with the overall club philosophy as well. So um, the components of the, the, the whole club philosophy is we, we want to play aggressive attacking football. We want to play in the opposition half. We want to play from A to B quickly and progress through the field quickly. So our goalkeepers have to align to the overall part. Um, and in order for us to do that, then we need to profile the goalkeeper. So we need to look technically, tactically, um, physically, psychosocial. We need to profile our goalkeeper so we understand um, the different elements a goalkeeper must need to play for the Melbourne victory. Uh, and once we've got our statement of intent, we've profiled our goalkeeper, we have some understanding of um, how we want to play and what that looks like. So that's our key goalkeeping principles, which I'll touch on in a minute, because I think it's really important um, and this is where I talk about like broader brushstrokes. Um, so if, if you're if you're painting, you need the outline before you go into the intricate detail. Uh, and that's it for us. It's our key principles. And um, within our key principles, we have sub principles, tasks and actions. Um, so not wanting to categorize the game too much because the game is too complex to categorize properly. Uh, and it's always flowing between, uh, say, key principles. Uh, but to give an example of that, one of our principles might be uh, protecting the goal. A sub-principle of protecting the goal might be trying to find the optimal position. A task within that might be um, how the goalkeeper gets from A to B in terms of his footwork. And then the action might be the type of footwork in terms of cross-step, lateral step, whatever type of movement. So then you can kind of build like that picture of what it looks like. Um, so once you've got your key principles, then you can start to develop your training methodology. Um, so your training has to replicate the game and replicate how you want to play the game as well. Uh, and then once you've got your training methodology, uh, it's how we implement it and how we periodize it as well. So how often are you, are you working on this particular principle? And for me, the way that I look at it is you need to look at um, how frequently that action or passage occurs within the game and how important that action is. So you have to give like a weighting of importance. So uh, say, for example, protecting the goal might be the, the highest weighting um, because it's the most important function of the goalkeeper. Uh, and once you've implemented it, 
then you have to measure it. So we need to see how our goalkeepers are performing in the way that we want to play based on our profile and our principles. Um, so uh, a way of measuring the goalkeeper um, might be to look at, um, rather than just say it's like save success rate, we might look at um, the expectation of the goal or the expectation of the save and create a formula around that. Um, so now that's for me is kind of like six points. Now we've got like a more holistic, more rounded um, developmental approach. Um, so we, we kind of have a good idea of what that looks like, how we want to develop it and uh, how we action and measure it. Um, so that's kind of the idea behind it. Um, Thomas, I have a question for you and uh, Omar, I don't know if you caught on this right there, but the whole brave thing, um, I'd love, I would love your feedback on this as well, well too, Omar, because like, it's amazing when you put in the methodology brave, but is that something necessarily like you'll, you'll say that maybe to a young goalkeeper coach and they'll think like, well, I've created brave goalkeepers. Okay. So I'm going to put them in these blocking situations every single time where the ball's just getting hit off their faces. That's going to create brave goalkeepers. But like you were talking about sub actions in regards to the amount of uh, importance to the game, Thomas, you know, you obviously, I'm sure you take that into consideration when you're, when you're, when you're going through these topics, you're like, okay, how often does this scenario actually really take place in a game? So how much precedence do we really want to put into this, into the training? Yeah, it's a great question. And, and brave for me is not just brave in terms of being physically brave, putting the body on the line. It might be brave in order to make decisions. So one of the most challenging aspects for a young goalkeeper is to defend the space, right? So if we look at some of our key goalkeeping principles, and this is how we just break down the game, like very simply. Um, so dominating the area in the air and on the ground or controlling the space behind the defensive unit, they might be two of the most challenging aspects for a young goalkeeper. So you have to give that goalkeeper the confidence and belief that they can go and deal with those situations and the trust that you're not going to um, react badly in, in order for them to make errors and mistakes. Uh, and we, it's all in the wording for me. So, if they're going to dominate the area and challenge for a cross, I say to the young goalkeepers that all you need to do is make first contact with that ball. So it takes the pressure off them coming through a crowd to try to take a cross, catch it, and then think about distributing it. Just simplify it by saying all they need to do is get first contact and then controlling the space outside of the area. We say to them that there's no pressure uh, to regain possession. So if they don't make the decision to come and sweep, to come and defend the space outside the area, then they have the option to make that just a, a safe clearance to clear their lines. And then once you have the intent and the attitude and desire for them to come and deal with those situations, then they try to find out what's right, what's wrong, how, when they can keep possession, when they can't. So it's all trial and error and it's all experimentation, but it's all about the wording and giving the young goalkeepers the confidence to perform those actions. I, I, I yeah. love, you, you know, one, one of the things you're saying right there in regards to because, you know, Omar, you brought up the whole quality on the ball thing um, that, that somebody had, had mentioned before. Um, you know, and Omar, I don't know if you've ever tried this before in regards to what Thomas is talking about. It's just like simplifying is it so to put less pressure on the goalkeeper so that like they you're not forcing them or micromanaging what action they take, but you're more giving them a direction of where to go with their movement. And then it's up to them to kind of decide how they handle handle the situation. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think that's the, I think we even we've talked about it before in terms of like, you know, player characteristics. How sometimes we would want the goalkeeper to have a little bit, you know, too much bravery and do things that uh, other goalkeepers might not and then be able to reel that back in and somebody who's a little too tentative and then you have to bring it out of them. I think, it you know, it goes back to uh, us as coaches, like I said to Mike earlier about uh, kind of autonomy and giving them the opportunity to find that brave characteristic at a young age 
just trying to micromanage them and try to really, you know, force feed things down. Go ahead. So I'll go through, this is what we call bringing the principles to life. Okay. Um, so I'll go through some video footage. So this is what we show our young goalkeepers. So um, we have some video examples that are really powerful of our first team goalkeeper performing these actions. Um, so I'll play the video and I'll talk around it, but they're just really brief examples. So okay. when we talk about protecting the goal, we speak about desire. So we really want our goalkeepers to be relentless at protecting the goal and make efforts and attempt for every ball. So again, it's around the wording about having that effort and intent to make the save to protect the goal. Uh, and then the, the finer brushstrokes and the details, have a look at the positioning, the footwork, uh, the choice of hand. So once you've got your, your broader principles, then you can break down the sub principles, you can break down the tasks and you can break down the actions. Uh, and I'll just flow through these as well. So dominating the area in the air and on the ground. Okay. So being, being brave physically to come and smother. And then on these, we're just looking at, even if you can't get first contact, just still being effective. Actually, while you're doing that, I, actually, I, I do want to ask you this question because, um, you know, Omar, I know you've run in, you've run into this as well, too, with people where, uh, you know, they say, oh, well, a relatable session, uh, you know, or a game realistic session has to be fluid. It has to be fluid. It has to be constantly flowing kind of like the game. You can't make a you can't make a static session or a session in isolation relatable. And like, do you believe that, Thomas, or do you still think that, you know, with clever session design, you can you can do, you know, sessions in isolation that are still realistic scenarios? Yeah, I think that's the the art and the detail of the coach and the eye of the coach. Uh, and I've seen almost some of your sessions where you have to work uh, individually with a goalkeeper, still trying to work out the intricacies of how you make that game related and and giving the example to the game uh, and thinking about where you might use this type of movement or this type of action uh, and relating it to the game. And, and this is where you might um, start using equipment and mannequins and giving them target goals. So they're thinking about the second phase and the next action. So I think that like, it's the detail of the coach to find some really clever and creative ways in order to do that. Uh, in my environment, I'm really lucky that I get to work with free goalkeepers every single day. So all the video that I'll show with the training footage is around um, three or four goalkeepers recreating that snapshot of the game. So I, I definitely think that you can uh, input and start to implant some of those elements um, but what I'm really cautious of is you're not creating a diluted version of what the game might look like. Um, so in, integrating outfield players is really important as well. And then how the goalkeeper goes from the goalkeeper specific session into the team training session and making sure that there's a consistent link throughout. All right. So, so what do we have? So what do we have right here? So this is, this yeah, is so clear. This, this is clearly not a training session. There's, there's I see yeah. people in the stands and this must've happened last year because uh, that those, those, those would be cardboard cutouts this year. So. Exactly. So these are just like brief kind of 20, 30 second example videos um, of like just good examples that we, that we give to our young academy goalkeepers. Um, so this is our first principle ensuring desire to protect the goal. And it's all about the desire and intent. So we have a saying that if something hits the target, we always need an attempt to make the save. So even if they're not successful in the outcome, the process and the action and the intent is there. Um, so I'll just fly through these. So these are just brief example videos of protecting the goal, dominating the area. Um, and again, like just first contact on the ball or being effective. Like I said, if we don't get the process right to still get the final outcome. I think that's a, I think you brought up a really good point, Thomas. And Omar, I know you've dis discussed with a lot of people right here as in regards to is that intent and outcome is is really what's the most important thing. You know, how clean, quote unquote, something is. Is, isn't isn't is it did, was it effective did it get the job done then yeah 
then, you know, and, and that, that's a big issue here in the United States, Thomas. And, and Omar, I know, you know, this from firsthand with dealing with goalkeeper coaches yourself is, you know, scolding goalkeepers for, for plays that were completed. Yeah. I mean, even, even sometimes too, I kind of get bothered where people are talking about, Oh yeah, the, the goalkeeping trends nowadays, you see, you don't see goalkeepers catching balls anymore. And I'm like, I mean, if you kind of, if you try to watch I mean, old games, man, I, I had to check. I mean, Peter Schmeichel at, at times too would close his fist and push the ball away and, and it would be effective. I think sometimes we need to get like away from like romanticizing this idea of goalkeepers have always caught the ball and have always done the right decision when really it's all about the effectiveness. And I think younger goalkeepers need to hear that more often. Agreed. Yeah. It's a really valid point as well. And I think it's, it's important to note that I, I don't care what the final outcome looks like. If they're effective in that action with the correct process, that's the best case scenario, right? And then part of our principles is either retaining the ball or deflecting the ball into a safe area. Uh, and we also speak about game management a lot as well. So you, I know you spoke to, to Craig, uh, I think it was yesterday or the day before, and you were talking about different, um, different scenarios within the game. So we look on the clock here, 82 minutes into an Asian Champions League game. Um, we're 1-0 up against Japanese opposition, and this is a good time to slow the game down. So we might give our goalkeepers those types of scenarios in training. And I think that like, that's a really important point to think about. And that might then create the incentive to catch the ball. Um, so creating that scenario-based training. Well, it's it's funny you yeah. brought that up, Thomas, in regards to like with Craig and Omar. You know, if you uh, you know, I apologize, I interrupted right here, but um, okay. he talked he talked about you know in regards to external factors. You know, and Omar shared a, a really wonderful story on external factors, um, <laughs> um, 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 yesterday. But uh, you're talking about you know playing Japanese opposition. This is very different. You know, it's this is not the league. You know, this is a completely different, for lack of a better term, you know, uh, league of football, culture of football. Uh, a team that you're not as familiar with, you, you don't see these players day in and day out. And is that taken into consideration when you're like in regards to how confident you're going to be dominating the air and on the ground? Because you don't really know how these players move. You don't really know how they should. You can scout here and there, but you don't see them four, five, six times like you do in the league. Yeah, I think it's a really important point. And then to put it into context as well, like some of the Chinese or Japanese teams that we might play in the Champions League might have one player that's the same value as our entire squad. Um, or more so. So we're potentially the underdogs in, in a lot of these situations. So um, the emphasis on protecting the goal and, and defending the space um, may take a higher priority in terms of um, our distribution and our counter-attacking. So that's how you structure your, your week, right? And, and base your training slightly upon the opposition and slightly on how you're going to play and operate. Um, but I think it's a really important point to take into consideration. And I think uh, the best goalkeepers are amazing in these scenarios. And the, the goalkeeper that was in goal here um, has recently moved to Europe. However, he was at his best when we were leading 1-0 in the game and we had to kill the game off. So there was something inside of him that sparked that desire to keep the ball out, to manage the game. Um, and I think like that's a really important thing for a young goalkeeper to have that, um, just the temperament to be able to kill a game off because it's not all about catching the ball, distributing the ball, getting to the edge of the box. There's another side of the game as well. I think it's really important that we educate young players in that way. Yeah. Now, Omar, did you want to, do you want to add on? I apologize that I interrupted you right there. So. No, it's okay. I mean, I remember too, like cause my uncle played in the, the uh, Mexican first division. And I remember, cause you know, I would watch his games and I would watch even like Ovaldo Sanchez and Mexico played against the U S and I was always like, Kind of like dumbfounded at certain times where they would try to play out of the back and then then you know throughout the game it would work they would cut you know catch the team stepping up and then they'd you know break their lines and all that stuff 
And then it was like the 85th minute, they're down 1-0, and they're still trying to play out of the back. And in my head, I'm like, well, wouldn't this be beneficial if a goalkeeper literally just pushed everybody up and then just put it down the field, and then maybe they have an opportunity to, to break the, the team down in that half. So it goes back to Thomas's point about, yeah, it's the 82nd minute. The goalkeeper has to go – not has to go down. He takes the ball down to the ground to give the team an extra minute or two. So context is super important. I feel like even at the pro level sometimes, you don't really see the adjustment within that context, within the game. They kind of just stay within the principles of the team, and they don't adjust. And I think that is where – for me, at least, I, I love the position is because I have the ability to, whenever that ball came to my feet, goal kick, uh, coming out for a cross, through ball, whatever, me, I now dictate what happens next. And I loved having that power. I love being able to pick out a pass. And that's why we talk about in training all the time. And, and I wish I would have done more with my left foot because maybe I would have been able to control the game a little bit more with a side volley on my left foot, you know, uh, off the ground on my left foot, whatever. But I probably would have been able to dictate more if I, was, if I had more tools in my toolbox to affect the game more in those situations. So I don't know what you guys think about that, but I feel like sometimes goalkeepers are very fixated on what the coach wants from them rather than allowing themselves to break out of that shell, use their IQ, and then really dominate the game with their own, uh, I guess, attributes. Yeah, I love that term in terms of being able to dictate the game. And I think essentially you become the protagonist um, yes. because as a goalkeeper, essentially you can't chase the game. I think if you chase the game, at least the errors and mistakes and misjudgment. So you have to kind of allow the game to come to you and then to uh, kind of react to those moments in the game. And you, and you can be proactive in those moments. However, when the ball is under your control, then you can dictate fully. You're the protagonist in terms of how quickly and effectively you can distribute the ball. Uh, and I think game management is a huge part of that. I think that's a great example, Omar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, um. Thomas, I've got a question for you right here in regards to, so, so you, you've been showing us in kind of in regards to what you, what you're expecting of the goalkeeper. So the why of why you're putting these sessions together, can you show us, do you have some clips that show us, okay, this is what the final picture looks like here in the game. Let me show you how we get here based on our session design. Sure. So I'll just finish off quickly. Like just these clips of 20 seconds, just to, okay. to keep context flowing. Um, sure. And then we'll go straight into the, the kind of training methodology. Um, sure. Again, I said no pressure to, to regain possession of these types of balls. Um, and then simply if the goalkeeper needs to put these balls in the stand, that might be the best and most effective action and outcome. And then being able to improvise as well is really important. And then this is the level that we might be able to get to is recognizing the moments when you can um, retain possession in these difficult situations. Uh, and then just last last 20 seconds on um, our, uh, our outcome or our intended outcome with the ball is to eliminate players out of the game. Um, so in a game you might be dominating or you might be chasing, this might become more prevalent. Um, and we're just asking, our, if we work under the premise that if you can play one pass to one player to get them through on goal, that's the best possible pass. Um, and I think it's really important to stress that to young goalkeepers as well, is that they're not long balls, they're long passes. And we're looking yeah. to eliminate players out of the game. Yeah, I, I don't know if you guys saw. I actually, I posted on, on my story. It was uh, Ederson playing a ball in behind to uh, Sterling this past weekend. And a lot of coaches reached out to him and they were like, man, if only we can conceptualize this to our players at that long pass to break the line to put your team into a uh, into, into possession or in, 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 in on goal should be a calculated pass, not just a boot it. So can we control our clearances to give ourselves the best chance to break lines and have a chance on goal? And then, I mean, a lot of people don't have the foot like Ederson. So I can't, I wouldn't say like, hey, you know, I want you to do this more often, but I don't think enough goalkeepers look past like 
the second and third third they need to go a little bit further to give us an opportunity to you know catch the teams that are high pressing i think it's a really important point uh and i think like one you you have to quantify it and show the goalkeepers the figures and the numbers uh and then the importance of that so eliminating players out of the game how often they do it how many players are they taking out of the game on average and then how effective are their passes so if they're contributing to goals within three passes for example um, that's something that you can um, share with your goalkeeper and feedback to your goalkeeper and I think that relates back to the performance measurement um, and I think that's where integration is so valuable uh, yeah. in terms of goalkeepers playing in directional possession goalkeepers having uh, ideas and build up and then if you look at kind of counter-attacking moments specifically is that the goalkeeper and the winger have to be on the same page so the intent of the goalkeeper to break the line has to trigger the, the the movement, the run of the winger or the striker, and those things have to be practiced. That, that see yeah. that, but that has to be developed though, because the thing is, is that you can't just expect them to be on the same page as in like they had a conversation. That's something that I personally, in, in my opinion, that comes through the, that comes through training. That comes in how you're incorporating the field players. So especially at the youth level, Thomas, you know where where like you say you need to be able to recognize these cues. You need to be able to see these triggers because you can't just, you can't just tell kids like, Hey, you know, Rick, if he's on, you got to give him the ball or whatever. Well, they don't know what that means. They have no clue what that means. Like, and I don't want to say you have to spoon feed them, but you have to put them in successful situations. So they start recognizing those patterns. In my opinion, that's just me. Agreed. And I think Michael, that's where your wording is so important and so powerful. I really feel that words and pictures combined are really impactful. Um, so the, the information that you give your young goalkeeper and the video messages that you show him uh, or her, I think they're really like they're really strong messages. Uh, if you can show examples of that happening at, say, um, club level uh, or first team level at your own club is very powerful. If you can show them images of them performing it is maybe even more powerful. I, I, want, I wanted to so do you have a so we're, are we going to move on to training footage is that what we're doing next yeah. um, so totally I, I totally lost track of time it's the election <laughs> here guys the world is it's a weird it's a weird place today so it's hanging on <laughs> <laughs> it's hanging on with the spread this thread here all right so all right um, so this is kind of the, the the training methodology that I've been working on for maybe about three or four years now um, so it's developed um, through practice design through trial and error and it has lots of different components and then um, through the first lockdown, I really tried to review and analyze and I, um, I was seeking a lot of feedback from some, uh, some goalkeepers that are uh, performing at some of the highest levels in the game. And I, I try to um, take away the ego from my own training sessions and coaching uh, and, and kind of separate myself from that to be able to look at it objectively. Uh, and I realized maybe I had too many components to the training practice. Uh, and I was trying to fit in all these com components. And originally I was trying to um, perform them in a systematic approach and it was maybe a little bit rigid. So I tried to get a little bit more fluidity. Um, so this is kind of how I progressed it. And I, I took away, if you see, I took away the technical practice and the advanced technical practice. And I changed the passing pattern to an opposed passing practice. So again, words are powerful, trying to change the wording and trying to spend more time in this goalkeeping related practice element and number five. Thomas, so, I have a quick question just in regards to it. I apologize. But it, so everything you just took out right there, is that, are you incorporating that into, into activation or you're incorporating that into the passing, into the post-passing practice and game related practice? Yeah. So that, that's the detail, right, Michael? And that's a great question because that, that was exactly my observation. Um, so 
I um, spent less time in that technical approach and put them more into that activation side uh, or incorporated them into the passing practice. And two key things for me is that um, the, the geography of the session and where it exists always has to be related to the field and trying to keep that training structure so the whole, all components of that training structure can be delivered in the same area for like maximum effectiveness and efficiency. So I'll move on to some of the, the video footage. Um, so this is the activation part and, and activation, we, we still play games in the beginning, we have competition and that type of thing, but um, these, these actions are some of the first things that the goalkeepers are doing on the field. So it's not really like structured movement and, and prescribed movement patterns. It's just always the ball's moving, always the ball's live, and the goalkeepers are ready to perform game-related actions within the first instance of the session. And then like they combine different topics. They're defending the space, they're protecting the goal, they're breaking lines with passes. Um, and then like the recovery footwork and movement in relation to the ball and not prescribed movement patterns. And like the, the goalkeepers are ready to dive, they're ready to save like from almost the first part they walk onto the field. Uh, and I think it's really important, say, for example, like if you're doing a crossing practice, that the goalkeepers have exposure to punching the ball, catching the ball. If you're working on um, protecting the goal, 1v1s, close range reaction saves, that the goalkeepers are being exposed to the movement of the ball and the types of situation rather than prescribing a block save or prescribing a smother. Um, there's an element of decision-making and you have to kind of um, train goalkeepers in this way. And this, this part was 10 minutes into the session that the goalkeepers are going to spread saves. And maybe like some coaches will think that's crazy and too soon. However, I think that if the goalkeeper is conditioned um, and they have tolerance to this type of training, that they can go into this type of training really quickly. Um, and it does take some persuasion, but the goalkeepers generally warm up to it and they buy into it. So everything is linked. So from the first practice in activation through to the passing practice, through to the game related practice, we try to link what principle of play we're working on or combining principles of play. And this is what I'm saying about taking players out of the game as well. It's like some of the passing is not just short range. Um, and then again, like five, 10 minutes into the session, the goalkeepers are diving, they're parrying, they're catching, they're getting up, they're getting down, the balls are moving uh, and it's relative to the game. And then you'll see when we go on to game related practice that we're using the same area, same space, same geography all the way through. Yeah. I love you know, that last one. Oh my God. <laughs> dude, That's so sick. I was going to say, by the way, did you, did you guys, did you and Craig have a conversation in regards to the Swiss ball? Because I saw the Swiss ball <laughs> no, being, no. being used in that activity. I was like, Oh, this, this must be a thing. Um, no, uh, I want to say this though. My, my concern with this and, and, and again, I'm not, I'm not negating it in any way whatsoever is that it needs to be shown. This, this, this content needs to be shown in context to a youth coach, because my, my concern is, and Omar knows what I'm talking about here, especially with social media, youth coach will see this, see this pre presentation today, right on, on the podcast. And they'll go, that's awesome. My nines, I'm doing that today with them. I'm going to showcase how we don't need any of this. They don't need any of that. I'm not going to tell them that we're going to be working on a block save here. You know, but the problem is, is that, you know, you're talking about advanced goalkeepers right here who already have those technical and tactical, you know, um, for lack of a better term, you know, uh, strengths. Uh, they've, they've already developed them. And so you can you can move through all that and incorporate that in, in into the session. So how do we I don't want to say dumb it down, but make it realistic at the youth level, too. 
Yeah, it's a good point because like these are trained professional athletes and they go through some sort of prehab, pre-activation in preparation off the field to be able to perform these actions quickly on the field. And it's all linked. I think you have to take a, maybe a bit of a slower approach to get to the game related action with the youth goalkeepers, but still spending that amount of time, at least 50% of the session in game related practice. Uh, and it might be about simplifying and breaking down some of the actions. However, I would still try to simplify it in relation to a moving ball. So we still get A to B, the goalkeeper moving from A to B in relation to the ball and the goal, and maybe having the decision to perform one, two or three types of actions based on the ball as well. Uh, and you might take a slower, more methodical approach to designing that session for younger goalkeepers. Dude, Omar, I don't know about you, but this has made me completely rethink my activation phase of, of, my, of my training. I love the whole thing about the moving ball. Uh, get you thinking a little bit more as to uh, if anything, the conversation that you have prior, I think that's the best thing for me too, is if I were to adapt any of this stuff and try to bring it in, it'd be the conversations prior to my goalkeepers. If I look, for example, I need you to come to the session a little bit earlier today. If we're going to work on block saves. We're going to try and get the ball moving a little bit earlier, work on those hamstrings, get yourself, you know, warmed up. Don't show up 10 minutes before the session. You know, just like those conversations that you may have so the goalkeepers have an idea so they're not coming in blind. I think that's also for me, uh, would help me improve my verbalization skills and how, how I articulate my session. And even if I needed to send the session to the goalkeepers and say, look, this is what we're working on tomorrow. Make sure you're ready for this. So hopefully that, may, that makes any sense. But that's kind of what I would do is verbalize it in a better way so the goalkeepers um, weren't surprised about my session coming in. Thomas, I was speaking to a first division coach uh, probably maybe a few weeks ago or whatever, and he said to me, you know, off air, he said, you know, one of the one of the issues that he finds is that the older pros are less willing to adjust their training habits based on this modern goalkeeping, for lack of a better term, um, game related changing. You know, so you got a 35 year old, you know, vet keeper, you know, has been a number one, you know, international, all of that. And then you're like, well, yeah, well, but and he's like, he's like, what are you talking about? It's like, it's like, you know. Bill over here, you know, for, for 30 years has been hitting volleys at my hands and it's worked great for me. So I don't want to change that right now. You know, how do we, how do we, how do, because, because, you know, I don't, I don't want to say you need to massage it, but you need to find a way. And I think it, it's again about making it, making it relatable to them to go like, okay, this, but this is why we're doing it. Um, and, but, but earn their trust, but then the, the younger guys, it's a lot easier, right? Because, you know, they're willing to listen and they're more flexible. And quite frankly, they've been trained in a different environment than the older guys. Yeah, it's a great point. And I think it's an extension of Omar's point as well. And I think it's about uh, the language and having a shared approach. So it's not the coach dictating the type of training, the type of practice, what it looks like. There's um, some input from the goalkeeper as well. And I think when you're having a building these conversations and I always take the pro approach that it's trial and error. So uh, it might be a conversation where we'll try an element of this uh, and try to experience a, an element of what the older pro is potentially used to and just finding that kind of combination um, and that shared outcome. Um, but I, I honestly, I haven't had the, um, I haven't had that kind of resistance from, like, we recruited a new goalkeeper, 27 years old, he's never really been exposed to this kind of practice and training. Um, and the first thing he said to me is I'm open-minded and I'm willing to experiment and experience it. And then we kind of review it at the end of every week. And, and the feedback that he's giving me is that he feels um, more ready for the game and more exposed in these types of areas, because there's definitely trade-offs at this type of training. Like it's physically more demanding and more exhausting. All the goalkeepers are involved in every element of the practice. So you maybe 
you have to take into consideration energy systems and rest times and that type of thing. Um, and making sure that we're wo working like really explosively for maybe eight to 10 seconds, and then they have the appropriate rest. Uh, and for an older pro, it might be 35, who's potentially managing his body as well. I think it's really important that you're taking his message and his feedback um, on board as well. So I think like if everybody's on the same page, everybody wants to win football matches, everybody wants to progress and develop and perform. I think everyone's on the same page. You're giving those messages, you're getting that feedback. And I think over time, maybe you'll get that kind of shared approach. So is there, is there now, is there, is there next, is there a next step now where you're going to start incorporating field players into this too, or is this uh, so all this, just. The next one is just an opposed passing practice with the goalkeeper. Okay. So I'll play it and run through. So the, the opposition might be just like passive pressure. Um, so it might be passive pressure from one of the goalkeepers to um, identify a trigger when he should play forward, when he tries to eliminate players out of the game. So pressure can come from the same side of the ball, from the opposite side of the ball. Uh, and again, um, using the illusion to, to take players out of the game and finding those kind of mid-range passes as well. Um, and then looking at blocking passing lines, cutting off options, um, making sure that the goalkeeper is always ready um, for that element of pressure. Um, and so sometimes the, the pressure can come immediately on the pass, but sometimes the goalkeeper might be in possession and he might be waiting and waiting for somebody to release and press. And that press can come really aggressively, really quickly, or it might come slower. They might cut off passing angles. So it's just trying to um, show the goalkeeper some of these pictures, make them feel as though they're under pressure in regards to the game and the timing and try to solve the problems. And then as you see, the, the goalkeepers are moving on the outside as well. So they're opening up passing lines. So they're understanding what they might want from their actual players in the game as well. So this might be something that you do in preparation for the goalkeeper going into a directional possession practice. Uh, and again, like just different pictures. And then we always try to create the illusion that they're eliminating players out of the game. Uh, and again, used in the same setting, the same um, session design as the overall practice. I was just going to hope that, that, that the guy in blue was ever uh, going to get switched out at some point because I felt bad for that dude. That dude was just running nonstop, chase, chase, chase. That's that's what I felt like when I was ever in Rondos. I was like, oh, am I ever going to get out of this thing? This is the this is the worst. Um, so no, so no, that's me with the turn of pace there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, I mean, like, uh, you know, what, one of the things that actually Omar and I, we actually discussed this in regards to you were talking about with the older goalkeeper um, and the veteran goalkeeper and stuff like that. Like, for instance, you'd have to take that into consideration. You're like that, for instance, that chasing activity right there. You can put that 37 year old in that, you know, you know, uh, uh, you know, before big match weekend or something like that. Like probably you, he, he probably might be like, you know what, I'd rather. I'd rather step out, step out of this right now, you know? And, and like you said, you had to have that conversation. Now, does that develop, um, for lack of a better term, uh, a feeling of, uh, uncomfortability with, with the, with the other goalkeepers on the team that everyone's, someone's getting preferential treatment or do they kind of understand that everyone's demands are different? So for me, like, um, it's not necessarily preferential treatment. So I'm very cautious of the goal. Like this type of training can be exhausting. So I'm very cautious of the goalkeepers, like sprinting, running, like turning all the time. Um, so I like to have them all engaged and all involved, but I try to take on some of the physical elements of the session, or we try to add in some outfield players and integrate them. So it's, it's even more realistic or um, I'm kind of absorbing some of those physical demands. Um, but we, I like to have them all engaged, all involved as well, because that's what the game is like. And if they're involved in, say, serving or receiving a ball, they might go from something that is just a, a simple um, action 
where they're performing at really moderate pace going into really like high explosive action. So for me, that resembles the game and the goalkeeping position. So I think it's about finding the balance. So this is uh so now this is the game related practice and we got the Swiss ball again yeah. coming out. All right. So so for me, like the these kind of sessions, like they've been done by many coaches. Um, and for me, then they're, they're not really innovative or that type of thing. And uh, they're just things that, that I've seen and adapted and applied to the situation. But I believe like the skill and the art of the coach is uh, how and when to implement this type of practice, how it relates to the individual profile of the goalkeeper and the overall principles of play. Um, and then building this component into the training session that links throughout. So again, just using the same areas, using the same types of practice, the themes that we have. Uh, and I like goalkeepers to be able to protect the goal and defend the space or um, defend the space and then eliminate players out of the game. So then you're linking your principles and it's not just our, today we're doing angle shot stopping. It's a general theme and a general practice. And, and I try to take nothing off the table. So I, I, hopefully you can see from the activation to the, to the game related practice that there's some links in between. I was going to say this, Omar, I, I know, you know, we've had this discussion before in regards to, you know, uh, when we have, when we have situations where we have, you know, only so many numbers or whatever, and, you know, um, you know, different goal, you know, different coaches go like, well, you know, you need to get six, seven field players in order to make this, make, make this happen. You know, I think, isn't this a, a, a good example of how you can really make these sessions relatable with, with, with small, with small numbers, you know, based on how you design these sessions? Oh my God. Yeah. I mean, even the idea, like you said, you have those four mannequins there and then giving the goalkeeper the idea of breaking the line and just giving them like that mental reward of like, okay, this is the picture that we're looking for on the weekend. And it might not be exactly what it's going to look like on the, on the weekend in terms of like how the field is set up, but giving them that reward so they know how it looks and how it feels. Uh, so there's like a nice another psychological thing that I'm, I've never even thought of or even like drawn up in my session. So my, I, I'm sorry if I haven't talked that much because I'm just watching all these clips and my mind is going crazy with ideas of just like the amount of space you're using, the amount of players you're using and the objectives that you're able to actually like maximize with this uh, small side of field and, and number of people. So props to you. This is honestly such good work. I'm really enjoying it. Dude, it's, 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 absolutely, it's absolutely incredible. It's one of those things where like you watch this and you go like, man, am I even a goalkeeper coach? Like, do I even know what I'm, do I even know what I'm doing? Oh, no, no, what, what it is, honestly, what it does, what it does sometimes that like, I'll literally sit there and I'll draw my sessions out. And uh, for the longest time I didn't, I didn't document them. I would just draw them out and then like there'd be scraps of paper around the house somewhere. And then now I'm just like, damn, okay, well, every time I sit down and write something, I'm like, I, do, I don't have any more sessions to draw out. I've drawn everything out. And now that I'm watching this, I'm like, oh my God, now I can draw like <laughs> tens, 20, 30 more of these. So yeah, I'm, I'm excited to uh, probably buy 20 more mannequins. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's really oh, yeah. important you're like there's honesty with the goalkeeping group as well and i'll say to them that are oh, maybe we're trying something today or we're going to experiment with something and, and try to get their feedback as well and I, I try to make them um give me something constructive and not just say oh that was great or that was good or i enjoyed that or didn't enjoy it like we try to take something um purposeful that maybe we'll be able to adapt the type of practice um and then i'll try to get their thoughts and feelings about it as well um, and a lot of the pr practice design is around where goals are scored from. Um, but I think it's really important as well to understand where the goal came from. So um, I spoke to a, like a, a goalkeeping coach that works at a very high level of the game that gave me some really constructive feedback. And he was saying about the, the five seconds prior to the action. Um, so if you look at these last two practices, it's like I think a lot of teams tried, like Man City S, try to get into those like 
wide channels either side of the goal um, because goals are scored from the width of the post, first time finishes within 12 yards, but they come from these kind of wider channels in terms of cutbacks, in terms of 2v1s. And uh, a situation where I see the, the goalkeeper exposed to a lot is um, the position where the player's driving in on the angle and the goalkeeper doesn't know whether to come and defend the space and advance to the ball or hold his position and trying to react to the 2v1. So we see a lot of goalkeepers exposed in those areas. So we try to use a lot of those practices as well. So I think it's really important to see where goals come from and like where they originate from as well. Um, Thomas, I have a question for you in regards to, you know, obviously we were, we were seeing a little bit of a, a fitness element in, in regards to some of the stuff. Um, should performance training be involved in this i think you know we were talking about obviously the the issue that you have with, with the, at the youth levels where um you know a goalkeeper coach is limited in, in time um they're limited in resources and you know they have a coach who tells them they need to incorporate this 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 and this into this session today in order to make it work for their goalkeepers because that's what at their club they're selling to and i know this is not as, as big an issue because i'm not sure how the youth youth setup is in Australia, but in the United States with our pay, pay to play model, especially at the lower club club levels, um, you know, the, the parents are sold on, well, your goalkeeper is going to be getting performance training. He's going to be getting tactical training. He's going to be getting technical training. He can be getting all this training, but then they go and then it's like, well, the kid only is there for an hour for goalkeeper training once a week. What do you mean? How are you, how does you do that, all that? So is there a way to, is there a way to incorporate performance training into a session like this and make it not break down the session is what basically what I'm trying to get at. You know, I'm trying to help out some young coaches out there. Yeah. I think that's the biggest challenge because there are definitely trade-offs in this kind of training. And I think to, to be able to create this kind of training and session design with kids is that you have to reinvent goalkeeper training to an extent and um, take it into a game type situation. So I think like Tim Dittmer does some really good practices with like four goals um, so all the goalkeepers are engaged in the game. They're performing game-related movements and actions. You have to have a lot of footballs and good numbers in your group as well. Um, and then I think, like, uh, I know that the, you've spoken to, like, Matt Doyle previously, Omar, and he's really good at um, designing, like, constraints within the game and constraints within the practice that maybe yeah. rewards the goalkeeper for achieving something um, or... Um, there might be a constraint where you're taking something off the table to make it more challenging for them or something has to happen based on a scenario. So I think the art is in the detail of the coach and actually the more experience the coach gains over time, the more simplistic the practice potentially looks and the more like the game it looks and the less you have to intervene and coach. Yeah, I think that's, that's a really good point right there in regards to making it look at the more and more you do it, essentially. And I think that's the trouble because I think a lot of goalkeeper coaches, when they start trying to train like this, especially if they haven't, if they're not, they haven't been comfortable with it, they'll scrap it after three. I mean, Omar, you know, this man, three or four sessions and you feel it's not working. You go back to your old ways because you feel comfortable, yeah. right? Because you feel comfortable. Yeah. I think uh, the biggest one for me is, I mean, even, even talking to just any coaches during the quarantine and stuff, I, I've really realized how important like this, not just session planning but like continuity is for them right like they'll do some sessions and they'll modify them just a little bit every single time but they actually take like thomas just said like they take the, the actual feedback I, hey i don't want you just to tell me it was a good session i want you to tell me specifically is there something that maybe i missed as a coach drawing it up what did you feel 
Like I ran a session yesterday with goalkeepers and we were talking about, uh, it was uh, cutbacks, but cutbacks through traffic. And one of the goalkeepers messaged me and he was like, you know, I love the fact that I was trying to figure out how to, you know, set through traffic while there were mannequins in my way. Do I sit behind it in a bad position, but still I can see the ball? Or do I sit in front of it where I may be giving up depth, but I can still see the ball and have maybe a better angle? So like those things that I didn't even consider because I was so caught up in drawing out the session. Now, the next time I go out to the session, now I have an idea of, okay, this is what I can add to it. This is what I can actually look for now. And maybe now that I have this new information, I can communicate that to the goalkeeper and say, look, this is what we're looking for prior to the session. Think about it. And that's actually, you know, try and get the, uh, the best, uh, I guess, mental approach going into it. So you can kind of like dissect it and have the IQ of the goalkeeper going into it. So just those little things like that to me are super important. And it, it comes to actually prior to everything stepping on the field, how detailed are you want, do you want to be and how okay are you with making mistakes as a coach as well? So that when you go out there, you're going to be able to be okay. You know what? It didn't go the way I wanted it to, but I'm good for those that constructive feedback. And the next next time I run this thing, it's going to be great. So just that, that that mentality of just being able to get the constructive criticism, not just as a goalkeeper coach giving it, but as a goalkeeper coach receiving it. Tom, so I have a question for you right now. And obviously, <clears throat> obviously, you're working with you know high level professionals and everything like that. So there's there's less of a need for them to 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 ease into this because you can just take them straight into, in, into with the team where they're, they're going to go into either small sided matches or full 11 or what, whatever it is that you guys are doing that day. Um, you know, do is there a way for like youth coaches, you know, to train like this and then start easing restrictions off until eventually it just becomes a fluid game of, and it's no longer looks like goalkeeper training. It's just, it's just a small sided game. Yeah, definitely. And I think Omar's point is an important one to have that discussion around the practice and to get the feedback of the perspective of the goalkeeper. And I think that's how you get that buy-in with the relationship. And then I think when it comes to designing and implementing the practice, you have to uh, explain to the goalkeepers and, and have that understanding that it's a safe place to make mistakes and that the training isn't going to, like, it's not going to be aesthetically pleasing. Like if they're moving from A to B with amazing footwork and a prescribed movement and saving a volley or, or something along those lines, then it's going to look good every time or almost every time. And then I think that's where you get caught up in the details and caught up in that kind of perfectionist approach. And I know I've definitely gone through that process. And I, I think from a coaching perspective, you have to go through the process of like kind of simple, complex, simple, where in the beginning stage, you're, you're just like putting on practices for the sake of practices because they look good um, or they look like what you think your perception of goalkeeping is. And then you kind of get this messy stage that you go through where you're trying to um, include everything and every element into your training and it becomes maybe confusing and complex and maybe you lose um, some of the essence of why you're doing it. And then when you actually get out of that stage, you learn how to simplify the session and then relate it to the game. And I think every coach has to go through that process and I'm still going through it like I'm nowhere near where I want to be as a coach and in terms of designing sessions and having that kind of input and relationship with goalkeepers. And I think it's an amazing point from Omar that he, he's always having that dialogue with goalkeepers and getting the feedback and getting their perspective, because then you get that like rounded approach that we were speaking about earlier. Well, that is why he's uh, United Soccer Coaches 30 under 30 uh, in the United <laughs> States uh, for 2020, 2021. Um, no, I, you know, I do want yeah. – go, go ahead, Omar. <laughs> No, no, I think we've, we've, uh, Thomas, that's awesome. No, I think, I think in that, to that extent, even Thomas at his level, understanding that he still has so much to, to grow and, and understand the position is like, it's good for people like me who are not coaching at the professional level yet. Cause I think I'm like, I'm like, I forget who we were talking to, but 
we brought it up and I was saying how much I love Tim Dittmer sessions, how much I love Sparks' sessions. And they were just like, but Omar, do you, have, do you understand how many times those guys have maybe run those sessions and they didn't put them on camera and they probably didn't look that good? Do you understand how much of a process it was for them to get to that point of understanding and comprehending and then, you know, communicating with their, their players, articulating session design, how long it took them to get there. And I was like, you know, I, I don't think we ever as coaches, maybe at least for me, I don't ever like sit back. I always just kind of like watch the sessions and take them for what they are versus like, I wonder how long it took this goalkeeper coach to get to this process and get to this point of how they were able to articulate their points and then draw out the sessions. So I think that's a good point by Thomas too. It's just like understanding that like we're also works in progress as well as coaches. And it's just really, really important to continuously get that constructive criticism. Because if you're getting everybody trying to tell you the nice things about what you do and people always reach out to me and say, hey, I love your sessions. And I'm like, great. But like, what else did you see? Like, what else did you know? I'm like, I, anybody could tell me they like my session. And I know I, I drew it up because I liked it. But I'd rather you come up here and like destroy my session and tell me, why didn't I do this? Why didn't I do that? So now I'm like, okay, now I have something to think about. And I think that's the important thing. I think where a lot of people can create, you know, evolution for themselves as coaches and as players is to ask the why and then be okay with receiving the answers to those whys. I, I, I love what you just said there, Omar, in regards, in regards to that with the goalkeeper coaches, because uh, Thomas, I think that's something that's not, not taken into consideration. By the way, if this is your messy phase, then I literally don't know how to do goalkeepers um, at all. Uh, <laughs> I, ho I hope this is, this is closer to the, to the clean phase. Is that, and I've made this mistake too, is I'll watch somebody's session. I'll be like, oh, I don't, I, I, I don't rate that. I'm not, I'm not that high. I'm not, I'm not that excited about that without really having any context on like what they're trying to do right now, where, where in this, why are they doing this right now? Are they doing this because they're trying something new? Are they doing this because they're a younger coach and they just don't know any better? Um, you know, are they doing this uh, because they had a lack of this happen at the last minute? And so they had to be flexible and change something up at, at the last session. And we have to, we have to take all that stuff into consideration when we're watching other people's sessions and trying to pick and choose what, what we feel works. And like, you know, when we're talking about relatable sessions here, and I, and I know we're using the word in, in a lot of different different vague ways here, but that's another thing too in regards to like, how is this session relatable to what the demands are of the game that I coach at the level that I coach, Thomas? And, and you know, and, and is that a conversation that you have with different coaches when, when you speak to them and they see a session of yours and you go, I'm glad you like this session, but this isn't really relatable to what you're doing here. If I were you, this is where... I would take what you're, you're training. Yeah, I think like um, I share both your opinions on that. And I think like that's really insightful and a, a really um, constructive, positive way to, to look at viewing a training session. Um, because when like, say, for example, you share a training session on Twitter, you might share two minutes or Omar, you share your, your five minutes of videos on YouTube. Right. Um, so I think if you look through those sessions from like a like a coaching lens, from a critical lens, then you don't just see the session at face value. You look at the session and how it's developed. You look at the experience of the coach. You look at, even you can see the personality and the characteristics of the coach. You can see all like the blood, sweat and tears that have poured into that session over a long time. And all the things that have gone right, gone wrong, changed, adapted. And you get this kind of like final, like two minute summary or snapshot of a session. And I think like if you're, um, if you've experienced coaching for, for maybe 10 years or more, then you can start to see those dynamics. Um, and I think when, when you're offering feedback and um, critique to say potentially goalkeepers that are starting on their journeys, then the, the why and the how are so important uh, and making sure that 
Um, you have an understanding of your overall philosophy and your overall profile of the goalkeeper first before you dive into the training session. Uh, and then you understand why you're, you're carrying out that type of practice and how you're linking it from the first element of your session to the last, to the integration with the team, to application into the game. See, that's yeah. my, always my concern. Like when I hear people and they go like, oh, I'm going to steal that. I'm going to steal this. I'm like, what do you mean by that? It's like, they're, it's not, it's not like, you know, your that that work like it's a magic pill you know and you take this and you put it in your session and all of a sudden your goalkeepers are going to be amazing like no like if you see a session of mine personally and i wouldn't take any of my sessions that's for sure but if you saw a session of mine and you said i saw something i like and i think omar we've had this conversation in regards to when we're at convention and phil wedden i think he brought this up he says when you come up to me and you ask me you know hey i liked your session you know ask me why i did that session ask me what what was yeah. the purpose of this session because then I'll then you're going to understand how you can use the knowledge that you learned from watching this session to better your sessions back home. But if you literally try to just write down and he sees all the coaches at convention and they're in their notepads and they're writing down the activity and they think that that that's what that's what it's about. It's not. That's not. It's about why you're doing you're you're doing this, Thomas. And I think that's what I love about what your sessions is that you show the development all the way from five six passes before that led into the goal scoring opportunity, you know, and this is all based on reality, based on real things that really happened as opposed to like, here's some scenarios, here's some drills of things that I that saw that looked really cool when I was in Australia visiting this goalkeeper coach. And now I'm going to show it to my goalkeepers when they, they're artificial scenarios, in my opinion, you know, sorry, I'm getting off my high horse now. <laughs> no, nah, I'm with you. I think even we did a, um, with Phil Wedden, he had a uh, course with, with Joe Velasco from Impact Goalkeeper Academy, uh, IGA here. And he came back, I think, last uh, winter. And there was a time, I filmed it, I, I don't know if you guys have seen it, but I put it on YouTube. And uh, there was a time where he, like, walked over to the goalkeeper coaches, like, little symposium and the goalkeeper coaches from different areas were watching a session that he was putting on. And he walked over to the coaches, like, just in a second, I'm going to go over there. I'm going to start raising my voice. And I'm going to see the intensity of what happens to the players. So he goes over and he starts going like, come on, come on, come on, intensity, intensity, intensity. And it was a passing exercise. And right away when he boosted his uh, change of voice and the change of intensity, they panicked. And again, that was something that I would say, Mike, I'm going to steal that. But in my head, I'm like, I know why I want to steal it. Because when you want to put goalkeepers in, in situations where you're playing in front of 20,000, 30,000 fans, or you're playing in, in a high pressure, uh, pressure situation and you're being pressed, whether it's you know high volume or high press, how are you going to be? Are you going to be composed? Are you going to be like the person who everything hits the fan and you're not going to be able to react well? So just little things like that, that experienced coaches who I guarantee you, he didn't step out at 22 years old and put some cones together and said, you know what? I'm going to try raising my voice today. I'm sure he either saw from somebody, he tried it one day later on in his career and he realized, oh my God, I can actually you know, stimulate the psychological side of the game here and really focus on different characteristics that just you know, coaching and, and keep my voice at a, at a monotone voice would not necessarily do. So little things like that you could take from all those coaches, but you have to be open to receiving or even letting that kind of stimulate you as a coach and then go back to the drawing board and say, how can I do this, but with my own voice? Yes. Thank you. I'm glad you brought that up, Omar, you know, um, is, is that you brought up my own voice. Because, Thomas, I think that's one of the biggest issues is copycatting, not only trying to copycat someone's session, copycatting them as a coach. Because if you don't, and we've, we've had this discussion over and over and over again, is that if you don't try to bring yourself to your session design and, and 
you're, the passion's not going to be there. It's not going to be authentic. And you're going to be playing concept because you're trying to be another coach. Absolutely. You can only be yourself, right? Everybody else is taken. So I think like that yeah. authenticity is so important. And I've, um, I think from a stereotypical like English style coach, like we're, we're really loud in sessions and we try to drive the intensity. And I think that's a, that's <laughs> quite a cultural thing. Uh, and I, I've tried to like, um, I've watched myself in my sessions back and I think like, it's too much and too full on. Um, so I think it's, I, um, I'm like a perfectionist by nature and I've tried to draw away from those things. And I really like um, difference and different scenarios and, and being different on different days as well, because it's human nature. So sometimes again, like Omar saying, experimenting with voice and tone and aggression, uh, and then sometimes drawing away and seeing if the goalkeepers then in drive, like drive the intensity of the sessions because especially when you're working with young goalkeepers if you're always intense always engaged always like the focal point of the session then the goalkeepers are probably not going to like respond very well in their own environments so i think sometimes you have to take a step back like you have to take a step back from session design and then look at it from an objective view and then see what starts to happen and what starts to unfold and i think that's when as a coach you have to become the observer we were, we were talking to, uh, to Craig uh, yesterday, actually, in regards to um, external factors, like, like, like I said earlier. And one of the things that came up was uh, the profile of the goalkeeper. And it was really fascinating what he said in regards to how to treat an in introvert versus an extrovert and how you're going to design how you coach, maybe not necessarily the session itself, but how you coach the introvert very differently than the extrovert um, because they're going to have different, different strengths maybe, you know, not, maybe not physical strengths, but I mean, in regards to emotional strengths, mental strengths, you know, maybe the, maybe the introvert is not rattled like the extrovert is because the extrovert's so big and emotional and passionate and it's a big, huge save. And they are ah, yelling at, yeah. yelling at their back line and the introvert's not going to be like that, but they're also 90, you know, 90th minute, you know, three minutes into extra time. They're not going to get rattled by that while like, while, while the Look, other one, not so, go ahead, Mike, Mark. what one thing I actually noticed too, is that it's a different perspective as well is that when there's a goalkeeper that I've had who's very introverted, nice, very sweet off. I had a young girl this past weekend, so I won't say her name, but she's very introverted. I'm sure but she's figured it out already, but that's good. <laughs> but her, but her, uh, her father's very extroverted. So his expectations are seen through his lens. And I think as goalkeeper coaches, we've always talked about it as well. Chris Sharp and I have had this conversation. He said, Omar, when you start coaching your players, not from your eye and your perspective and giving coaching points based off what you would do, but rather from their eye and what they, you know, what their strengths are, what their weaknesses are. That's when you really can build that trust and really get over that little hump that maybe you have with your goalkeepers and you can't explain things to them well and they're not comprehending it well enough. And I had this young girl this past weekend and we're finally working on crossing, right? So I had her in a position where she's starting about six yards off the line. And like Thomas said earlier, like five, six seconds prior to the actual cross coming in, what is she doing? So I was like, okay, look, you know, the ball just got transitioned. It's only two of us. So have an idea of where this ball is coming from, right? So take that ball, touch down the line. You're going to drop from the six, get back to your line. But in that movement, can you look to the far post and look at me and communicate man on far post, no cross, force some wide. Can you give me something? So I, and I'm serving the balls in and she's not saying anything. It's complete mute. Her dad like walks on the field. and He's just like, coach, I hope you don't mind me doing this. But, uh, and he just looks at his eyes like, you need to understand there's a person at the far post. There's a person coming down the middle. Your defense has no idea what they're looking at because you haven't said a word. And then he like steps in and starts communicating as if he was a part of my session. How old is this and girl? It was just like, 
<laughs> she's really good too. She's 15. Uh, no, she's probably 13 or 14. But you know, just little things like that. Then it's just like, you look at that and you go, wow, you know, I, I just, the perspective and the, the words that these goalkeepers are hearing that aren't even our voices as coaches and what's being, you know, circulating through their, through their ears prior to and after sessions. So it's just like interesting things to think, take into uh, to consider, uh, consideration as well. My gosh. Yeah. I, I never even thought about that. And, and Thomas, actually, that's something, <laughs> you know, at, at the, at the youth level, I never even thought about that is that one of the, one of the external factors that we have to take into consideration in regards to our session design is the other voices they're hearing that are out of our control. Absolutely. And I think that sits massively with your, your conversations with Craig uh, and external factors and that, because like some, some voices um, can speak loudly, uh, more loudly than others and resonate with us on, on different scales. And we take um, individually as people, we take, different people's perspective into considerations with different weightings. So if somebody uh, as prominent in your life as a parent is, is giving you um, yeah. information, then I've, it's probably human nature that you trust that information. Or if you don't trust that person or have that relationship with the person, maybe you don't take that into consideration. And I think all those external factors um, are really important to take into consideration when you're developing the person and looking at all those like social psych factors and looking at external influences and this is where like um, Omar, you, you're coming into this situation where you can see the complete picture uh, and that's different whether you see that goalkeeper once a week or you see that goalkeeper every single day, the age and stage of their development, the environment that they're in. And I think uh, it's really important to get to know the person in order to get the best out of them. Um, yeah. So uh, th those things are, are more important than session design and more important than what you coach is how you coach and how you relate to that person. And I think that's probably one of the biggest things I've had to learn and one of the most like demanding things as well. So do you have to take, do you have to take these profiles into consideration when you're designing your sessions? What type of goalkeepers you're dealing with? Absolutely, absolutely. So you, like this is where um, having your, your broader outline first is really important because you have um, what you're trying to achieve in, in relation to yourself, in relation to the opposition, in relation to your overall goals and outcome. Um, and then you have to take into consideration the type of goalkeeper uh, and like changing the subject a little bit. I think when people profile a goalkeeper and they want to recruit goalkeepers that have similar profiles, they generally look at things that they can see like physically, like height, like stature, like voice, like those consistent things, like how they perform techniques. But for me, when we profile goalkeepers, we look at those broader themes and the outcomes. So if the goalkeeper is defending the space, how frequently they're defending the space. And it, for me, it doesn't matter if they're six foot or six foot five, like as long as they have the same intent, like same intended outcomes, and um, they'll do that and achieve that through different ways and different methods. And that's how you get to know the person by like knowing them off the field, but then knowing them, um, how they uh, like react to those different types of scenarios and situations. Amen. And I, and, and I think, I think that's one of those things that's just like where it's just going to be, it's going to be trial and error. You just have to throw these goalkeepers into these different scenarios and see how they react to them and see how they handle those scenarios, because then you'll have a better grasp of how to train that goalkeeper moving forward, you know, and obviously, you know, at the professional level, you know, you've, you know, these goalkeepers, well, you know, you guys bought them, you brought them in, brought, brought them into the club, um, you know, but, but you had to come, come familiar with them when, once you, once you came to Melbourne first, 
you know, which, which is a very different animal. And, 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 and Thomas, maybe we may have to have you back, you know, to have that discussion of what it's like to tra transition from being a youth coach to a pro coach, which I know is what Omar wants to do. Uh, so I'm just basically, I want to give an Omar a free class, a free course. Uh, I'll be honest with you. It's been, I've been so lucky, honestly, like, I mean, I've been, I've planned it in that sense of where my mentality is of like, man, if I want to be a professional coach and we have like a podcast platform and I have my channel platform and like, you know, I can post other people's sessions like Todd Hoffer and all that. Like, it's just, just like, it's, it's so, it's so easy for me. You know what I mean? Like I'm literally getting from the best people out there in my field, getting their deepest, darkest secrets, you know, about the position, all the things they've had to do and endure over their course of their career, they're sharing it with me. And I, I'm just so lucky to be able to like have that it's been like it's been crazy to be able to like sit down with like for example tim dipper geez man the guy is just like a wealth of knowledge and like how much he's accomplished at such a young age and then he's just telling me all this stuff and these q a's and these young kids don't even know who tim is you know like a 12 year old kid who's asking a question on the instagram q a doesn't know who he is and he's just like oh that's a good answer i'm like yeah like you don't know who this guy is like you know what i mean so it's just so funny to me how like social media has allowed all this stuff to happen it's pretty cool well, it's like Philip Poole says, you know, uh, women's national team goalkeeper coach, you know, when he was on, he's like, you know, we're goalkeeper coaches, you know, people aren't supposed to know who we are. We're supposed to be in the shadows. <laughs> I know, but like for us, it's like celebrities, you know what I mean? Like we're like, yeah, yeah. oh my God. Thomas, but but it, but but prob probably in 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 the in the real world in the you know whatever those civilians do out there, if they know who the goalkeeper coach is, it's probably not a good thing. That probably means <laughs> yeah, that something. Probably. Something rough is going on at the club. If you know, if you know who the goalkeeper coach is, um, well, Thomas, how are you doing on, on, on time? We'll, we'll start wrapping up here. Yeah, I'm all good. Um, good? yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, one thing I, I do want to ask you is, uh, you brought up the trying to do too much in your session design and when, and I think that's one of the problems about being, when you're trying to make a relatable session is that the game is simple and the scenarios are simple. So if you throw seven scenarios in, well, that's not, now it's not the game because that doesn't happen in the game like that, like that. Um, is that one of the main mistakes that you see young goalkeeper coaches make when they, when they start trying to train this way? Yeah, I believe so. And I have gone through this journey and still going through it. And then you, you go through this kind of um, period where you're trying to throw too much into the session, include too much into the session. So now you dilute, um, the, the point that you're trying to make or the area that you're trying to work on. Um, the way that I kind of conquered that a little bit is by working on that passage of play, that individual snapshot, and then allowing anything to happen that occurs within that snapshot of the game. So for example, in some of the sessions there, when we're working in and around the penalty area, sometimes it might be a back pass, sometimes it might be a cross, a cutback, a close range shot, a long range shot. So anything that happens in that kind of realm or area that you're working within, try not to take anything off the table. Um, because as well, I'll, I'll plan my sessions more broadly and I won't go as specific as angled shot stopping or dealing with 1v1s in central areas. I'll try, because they're at professional level as well, I won't isolate an action. I'll try to work whatever actions occur within that passage of play or within that area or space. Uh, and I think by doing that and by taking a step back and not trying to control every part of the session, I think that allows more fluidity and more realism. I think that's the hardest part for young goalkeeper coaches because unlike yourself, the quality is not going to be there. So the session is not going to be aesthetically pleasing. Like you, like, like you were saying before, even if you try to get it where you've fine tuned it and you've owned it and, and you've got a high level youth, it's just, it's not going to look good. It's not going to look as good. It's just, it's just not, 
You know, Omar, I know you've had this discussion. It's just not going to look as good. You're going to be like, I, I can't put this on Instagram, you know, because it's <laughs> it's all over the place. And there, there is a method to the madness, but people who don't understand what you're doing aren't going to aren't going to get what's going on. They're just going to see scrimmaging in their mind. Mike, I think it's really important that um, because of the situation that we're in at the moment, we, we're going into the Champions League potentially um, without to play, without having to play friendly games and that type of thing. So especially when you're working with new goalkeepers as well, you can't wait until they've played a game to see some flaws in their game. Um, so you have to expose them to this type of practice to be able to see f- potential flaws or, or massive strengths that you can work on, develop, hone in on. Um, and they're more evident within the training practice. And that's why I think like filming the training session and analyzing, watching, reviewing is so important. So you're, you're seeing the session again. Uh, and for me, I get really frustrated if we miss anything on film or we can't look back on something because you can't always coach it live and you can't always see it live. And it doesn't matter how experienced you are, how many football matches you've watched or how long you've been involved in the game. Like you can't see everything, especially if you're serving or involved in the practice as well. And I think just that kind of review element to the, to the training session is vital. And the goalkeepers respond really well to that as well, because they love to watch themselves back. They love to look at the footage again. They love to look from their perspective, a different perspective, different angles, different approaches. And then that becomes a discussion. So when Omar was touching on the, the situation earlier, when he's having the discussion with the goalkeeper around the cutback situation, getting their view, getting their approach, looking back on film and developing those kinds of conversations over a long period of time, for me, that will accelerate progression and development like massively. Yeah, you brought up something actually that I, I actually never even thought about before, and it's actually making me rethink how to handle um, identification or trialists um, or any sort of showcase situation. You know, where where I've got goalkeepers who are there on showcase to trial, and and I'm checking and I'm checking them out. Um, is that to more throw them into these more of these game scenario type? Because I think the traditional route in a in a trial situation is to throw them into activation training and then technical and tactical work in specific areas and see how they hand and say oh he's clean on the ball here or like oh he's he's good at reading through balls and blah 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 or whatever um but what you're making me think is like no i should just go this this direction with them because then i'll know then i can go back to the head coach or i can go back to the general manager at, at the club um, or the AD, depend, depending on if I'm at college, and go like, so I saw how this goalkeeper handles games because of what we just did and how they could think and do things on their own without the pressure of putting them in an 11 v 11 match, you know, where all of a sudden now they're in their head because they're like, I'm on trial, I'm on trial, I'm on trial. That was my Achilles heel as a player. I'm on trial, I'm on trial, I'm on trial. If I do anything, I'm done, you know, because they don't even think, in my opinion, they, they're not even thinking they're on true. They're, they're, they're being evaluated for games for how they handle games when they're going through those activities. Yeah. You know? uh, for me, I think like taking the approach of everything that starts and ends at the game and it, it, it's like cyclical. So everything else in between the game is irrelevant. So the process that you take uh, in order for the goalkeeper to perform better in the game is up to you and up to the coach. Uh, and I, I probably made a lot of mistakes in academy football um, probably earlier in my career, maybe not giving goalkeepers a long enough opportunity to, to show what they can do over time because kids develop at different ages and stages and allowing for the later developers, having bias to, uh, to the early developers. And then the way that we look at it now is it's kind of like um, 
you, you look at a scale between um, high performance and high potential. So somebody, uh, a goal, young goalkeeper that's an early developer might be a high performer, but he might be a low potential. But there might be a goalkeeper that's a lower performer, but a higher potential. And I always like goalkeepers coming into our environment that haven't been exposed to too much goalkeeper specific training practice for a long time, because I think like the, the type of practice will dictate what they're like in the game and what they're like as a goalkeeper. So they might be uh, excellent trainers. And we had this a lot in England as well, because goalkeeper training looked a specific way. We developed a specific type of goalkeeper over a long time that was very effective in training practice and less effective in the game. So whereas goalkeeping is going more game related now, I think it's really important that we see the goalkeeper in the game, see how they perform in the game and then come back to the game. Yeah, I absolutely love that. And I mean, I feel like, I mean, Omar, unless there's anything you want to add here, like, uh, you know, I, I think, I mean, that's a, that's a great place to, to end on. I know you've got the rest of yeah. your day right here, but we've got, we got election night coverage over here that we got, <laughs> we, we got, we got to deal with in, in the United States. Well, well, Thomas, honestly, man, we'll have to have you back. You're, you're such a wealth of knowledge. It's just, just, I mean, this was absolutely phenomenal, man. I mean, but look, we, we don't expect anything different from a Tim Dittmer recommendation. So, uh, you know, <laughs> definitely, <laughs> it's, it's always going to be next level. Um, if anybody out there wants to reach out to you and they want to connect with you, maybe they want, you know, made it, maybe to, to get a little more in depth on your presentations, um, you know, or, or check out some of your content, where's the best place for them to connect with you? Uh, so I'm quite active on Twitter and on YouTube as well. Uh, I think both links are Thomas Fordry. Okay. Well, that, that makes it easy. And guys, as you remember, you can always reach out to Omar Zini at Pro GK Academy underscore. Uh, he's got some great stuff that uh, that has been posting in the last couple of days. He even just did a Q&A with uh, Tim Dimmer that you just posted, right? Yeah, it's, it's from the longer form content. And I'm just cutting it down now to uh, little little snippets in here and there that answer questions that a lot of us young coaches and young players may have. So it's been it's been awesome. Nice. And remember, guys, if you have a guest suggestion or a topic suggestion, contact at insidethe18media.com. That's the number 18media.com at Goalkeeper Podcast on all social media platforms. That's all the time on Inside the 18, and we are out. Later, guys. Yes.